Have you subscribed to the OTB Football Podcast? Prove that I, I can play at that level. Some of my best games are against some of the top teams in the world. Subscribe now to the OTB Football Podcast stream wherever you get your podcasts and download the OTB Sports app. OTB's The Hurling Pod. With Board Gosh Energy. Hurling. It's anyone's game. Welcome along to The Hurling Pod with Willow Callaghan and James Skehill. Because Skell, Paul Murphy is stuck somewhere in transit from Crow Park. Yeah, and I can imagine Murph now being the ultra, <clears throat> you know, states person that he is, is just travelling at 80 kilometres an hour, nice and conny, nice and safe. <laughs> he won't do what I do and travel down at a, at a I suppose, a, a faster speed, up put it that way. But we, we'll, we'll fill the gap until, until he joins us. Well, yeah, exactly. Look, he's a happy man, obviously, after Kilkenny got back into the final. So it's a repeat of last year's decider again. Limerick into the final for the fifth time in six years, while Kilkenny now into back-to-back finals after beating Clare today by 125 to 122. There is only one place to start, scale when I have a goalkeeper online at the moment. And that's a save that you have given away slightly where you rank it, because you tweeted yeah. uh, Owen Murphy a bit earlier saying, that's the best save I've ever seen. Yeah. What an unbelievable save. Like on the first, uh, kind of when we saw it in real time I didn't know initially whether Duggan shot had just flashed onto the bar and then we see the strong hand and flick of the boss he got to flick it off the bar what a save what a save and like we go through like technical difficulty um, and I suppose the difficulty that was posed towards him like, the reason I said it was the greatest save is because it ticks so many boxes like we have seen saves in the past whereby a guy is running through hits the ball off his hand and just keepers have no time to react but they save it and like, they're great saves right but in terms of uh, even to put the game aside, put the time in the game, put what was on the line, put that aside for a moment. Uh, and the harder shot to save is one of two, th- one or two shots, either A, a ground stroke, or B, a double. So when a guy takes a shot out of his hand, like you can actually, you can kind of read his body somewhat and you can make adjustments. But when, he, when there's a double, you have no idea where the ball is going. That's the first thing. Second thing is the ball came through hip bodies. The ball came through a pace. The ball came, <laughs> came through uh, at a height that is uncomfortable for a goalkeeper when you have to get up, up to his wrong side. So when you add all those together and, and, and add in the, the, just the reactionary speed of one Murphy, like it was absolutely unbelievable. And then a little, a little carrot on top is, is the actual momentum occasion of the game. The game's on the line. If that goes in, Clare probably, they could see out the game. We're heading towards the draw or a Clare victory. But so it was like, it was, it was I, I say this with confidence, it was the best save I have ever seen. And that's not yeah, so much but- any saves that's made in the 60s, 70s, whatever you draw. I'm talking about in, in what I've seen on television over the last... 40 years, 45 years, has that was just the best I've ever seen. Look, we'll let the live chat decide because I'm sure there's going to be plenty of other suggestions and even Nicky Quaid going back to 2018, which again, I think the enormity of the occasion and the fact he makes that save to send them into the final uh, for importance has to have a big part of the stake if we're going to call it best save of all time. But I think on this one, one of the key things to it is David Fitzgerald does a wonderful job to get the ball initially out to actually create enough space for the shot. Yeah. But if oh. that goes in, you're saying that's one of the great instinctive goals of all time if Murphy doesn't get a save on it. Yeah, you're thinking about, like, I suppose they've made something out of nothing because like, Kikini did fierce well in terms of getting bodies back and defending their area. And, I, and that was a question I asked myself in real time was how did Fitzgerald actually get the pass away? Um, when you consider there were probably so many arms and hurls in, in, in his vicinity, he did well to get it away, got it to a great trajectory to Duggan. And Duggan did a great kind of instinctive I suppose, reaction, instinctive strike. And it was probably the best thing he could do because if he, if he catches that ball, well, he's he smothered. You know, he's probably smothered and who knows, overcarrying and whatnot. But they certainly don't get the opportunity that it provided. So for him to double on it, instinctive, and then it's instinctive save the same way because all Owen has is, is milliseconds. I mean, you think he has a second, he doesn't. He has probably you know, a tenth 
you know, have a millisecond to react and, and say that. And it's just, like, I know I, I sound like I'm, you know, I'm, I'm a fanboy here. Like, <laughs> you know, I'm a huge fan of the guy as it is. Uh, and it's just, it's, it's, it topped off a good performance for him in general. And I think I'd nearly go as far as saying that like, I put him in, in the front runner for the All-Star, I'd imagine. That was the smashing saves at both ends. Now, Patrick Coleman's comment, uh, which has come in here, about will Murphy be on at any time? Paul Murphy will be with us. Uh, Latest we got was a WhatsApp in the group about two minutes before he went live saying that he was in Carlo. Uh, It was more of a concern when he said he was still in Ballymun stuck in traffic at 7 o'clock when he was trying to push it back. So uh, he says the minute he gets home, he is going to pop in at that point and uh, he'll chat to us straight away. So it's a lot to break down from the weekend. Uh, Not to kind of dig the knife into scale, but we might start off with Saturday's game uh, because he was there and we can talk about the Galway performance as well uh, but there's been a good few comments that come in have been interesting and here's one from Sean Sheehan who says can we start talking about Aaron Galan as what he is one of the greatest forwards of all time he was favoured for hurler of the year played himself out with only 7 points obviously dramatically uh, sarcastically there from Sean uh, by only scoring 7 points in the final and not getting hurler of the year uh, this time round I think we were talking about this a few weeks ago where we were wondering who was going to emerge from the Limerick pack bear in mind Darrow Donovan did get man of the match yesterday and he put in a huge display around the middle of the field but the fact of the matter is that Galan as a score getter was a difference maker both in the Munster final and yesterday evening as well Yeah and like being there live you see I suppose maybe this is everyone I suppose looks at, looks, looks at games in a different manner but <clears throat> I, I saw obviously the RTE guys gave Darren Dunham a man of the match but for me I would have given it to, to either Keane Lynch or to Len um, I just thought, thought that had a huge influence in the game. And Galan, everything seemed to touch, but at least 90% of it uh, caused hassle for Galway. You know, whether it be scoring like like he did or assisting people or just general link play. He was like he was awesome. And we go back to the heart of the year question. And in fairness, like we had four or five different people or different options. And like truthfully speaking, I've ruled out three after this weekend and I've added in Aaron Galan. So I've ruled out Tony Kelly, I've ruled, ruled out Connor Whelan, Dahi Burke, and I've added in Aaron Galan. So now my three nominees, in my opinion, are Aaron Galan, Owen Cody, and Shane O'Donnell. I think for anyone, it's hard to argue. Now, granted, there are three forwards. Granted, they get all the highlights. But I suppose no back has really stood out into hurler of the year form on, on a continual basis, on a consistent basis. Um, but like the three guys, it's hard to argue. And like, after Shane O'Donnell's performance, yes, Owen Cody gets the plaudits today for being man of the match. But Shane O'Donnell was absolutely electric and was awesome. Mm. So it's a toss-up. But like, unfortunately, Shane O'Donnell will likely won't make it because it's going to be a final showdown. And for me, it's between Cody and Galan. Talk to me about Galan's catch, which in many ways is vintage Galan for the first goal, where we spoke last week that Dolly Burkers have moved back to three deliberately to try and stop Galan doing what happened for that goal. Mm-hmm. But what I think is remarkable about his athleticism is that Galan goes up effectively facing away from the goal, but by the time that he hits the ground, he's actually in a position to get his swing away to put the ball into the net against one of the best fullbacks of all time and a huge physical man in Dolly Burke. That's an incredible piece of athleticism to take the ball out of the air in the way he did and to be in position to put the ball into the net when he hits the ground. Yeah, well, it's, it's class. Like, a couple of things, like his positional sense is, 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 is really phenomenal because I think as a back, <clears throat> what backs want is they want contact. So they want to be able to touch you. So when they touch you and keep you in front of you, they know exactly where you are and they can shove you out, play you. So like nine times out of ten when Dahi Burke or any other fullback catches the ball, in a contest, they usually have the, the, the forward in contact with them so they can wrestle them and catch it. That's what Dahi's done over the years. Dahi just got caught himself. He did, well, I wouldn't say Dahi got caught. I would say Gar- Aaron Galan put himself into position that caught Dahi. So whereby he was in behind him. That way then Dahi didn't know where Galan was, what, what line he was coming from, what trajectory his jump was from. But when you couple that, all that with the sheer, like he was sick. The jump was sick. He just, he, he kind of swiveled and caught the ball in the same movement and landed himself into a position whereby he can move forward. 
So if you if you consider like nine chance of people like would would take that ball and you know they they would then initiate contact with Dahi because their athleticism wouldn't get them into that kind of position. But Aaron did it in two in two phases. He did two phases in one, and like ultimately Dahi didn't know where the ball was, and it was a famous catch. And he's done that to like the best fullbacks in the country. He, we've seen him do that time and time again. I'd say I don't have enough fingers and toes to count the amount of times he's done that to people, and probably didn't have hasn't finished all the opportunities he's got from that move. But like he seems to be finished now, like and finishing low. So he's in a, like, he's in super form, and he's going to be a a tough one for you rather or or others. Yeah, uh, comments are flying in about the Facebook and YouTube at the moment, so I'll throw some more of the questions to you in a moment. But the one that automatically springs to mind here, Skell, is that Galway are in a wonderful position 25 minutes into the game. You'd have to be happy with the disruption that they're causing on the Limerick puck out at that point. They're pressing up and being incredibly competitive, and it looked like Concanon and Whelan were getting good ball in the forward line. What happens after 25 minutes to see Galway fall apart then? Well, it's not even 25 minutes. I know, let's say, people, like sometimes, uh, like supporters in any county, whether it be Galway or others, when you lose a game, like you, you look at a couple of moments and you know, you're looking at media, whether it be Twitter or any other online platform, and you're saying, you know, you nearly get swayed by what people are saying online. And like a lot of people are pointing towards Nicky Quaid. And like, in fairness, I was looking at that going, I would do the exact same thing myself. Every team does it, whether it be a junior C club team or a senior in county. Every team tries to stem the play somewhat when probably the, the, the game is going away from me a small bit. And he did so. But after that, like, Goy won the puck out and we had a shot. You know, I, I was looking to see how do we how do we go from that. So after the quay break, we won the puck out, had a wide, won the next puck out, had another wide. So we had opportunities to, to even still capitalise. But on 31 minutes and 45 seconds, I watched the game back and Shefflin shouts into Huilo, uh, one up top now. So he changed formation. For reasons I'm not fully sure, Will, I, I don't think we're getting opened up in defence. I'm not sure why we went back kind of to a more defensive structure. I, I wonder, was he trying to see the game out with like three to four minutes going to halftime? But Limerick got a purple patch. Um, and what you do, when you retreat, you allow Limerick to play into a system that they're very, very good at and they're, they're easily the best in the country at. You allow them to play the numbers game whereby they can create mismatches, like five guys against four, six guys against, against, against five, and they just move the ball around you. Whereas when you contest the ball with them and go man to man, you nearly, you nearly force them, I suppose, to, into long deliveries, into more contested ball, into not giving them the, the perfect pass into the Galans and Flanagans of this world. But when you sit off them, you're just, you're just inviting trouble. Truthfully speaking, you're inviting an attack. And like what I hate to see when teams play Limerick is, let's say a ball lands at Barry Nash and he has the time to turn around and whip it over to Jimmy Burns, who has the time to whip it into Will Dunhu. Whereas when you go man to man, you're forcing that man to either beat you or run past you, you know what I mean, or, or, or pass a very, very high, high difficulty ball. So we sat off and we just like, we just stopped. I, I think it's very hard for a team when you're in a flow and the flow stops, it's hard to get the wheel turning again. You know, it's really, really hard to get the wheel turning. So at halftime, I won't lie, I was a bit concerned. I met a few people like friends of mine uh, in, in the stadium and we were kind of sharing the same, same sentiment like that. We shouldn't let them back in. It was... You know, it was a criminal tactical move, if, if, if I'm honest. And I, I'd be looking in general at the two losing teams today and I'd be saying, you know, that, that the manager has, you know, some answers to make because, or some answers to, to, to call because if if we stayed, and it's if, ifs and buts. Look, Limerick were, were far down on team, far better than us on the day overall. But if we stayed at the same system we did for the first 25 minutes, how would the game petered out? I don't know. And we'll never know. <laughs> we'll never know. We won't know until we get another chance of them in the future. But look at... It was an opportunity lost because I thought we were doing fierce well and we let them back into the game. And ultimately, when they got when they got a stranglehold in the game, we couldn't wrestle it back off them. Yeah, because like the six-point lead is a dream position to be in within a game. You're thinking 
they're unsettled by the fact that Sean Finn's not there. I thought Will O'Donoghue did fine in the half-back line. He had to move around a bit and maybe Galway didn't actually make it um, as uncomfortable as they could have for him during the game. But at the same time, this looks like a golden opportunity when Galway are in that position. Yeah, like, and I suppose when, when you're when you're playing a team who who we know what they can produce uh, at, the, at the peak of the performance, you're saying whatever opportunity we get, we need to take it. So like when Brian Cannon had that shot, nothing more Brian could do. He did a great reactionary shot on the strike run. And Mike Casey, like, I, I don't I don't think that was pot look. Like Mike Casey got his hurl low, got his body low. That was a fantastic defensive save. That That's something that's, again, I know we're talking about Owen Murphy from a goalkeeping perspective, fabulous save. But what Michael did was the best, like was one of the best defensive moves we've seen all year because he got himself in a position, got down low to make a save and he did so. And like when you're beaten as a goalkeeper, it is so satisfying to see you have cover <laughs> in your full back line. And so like that was that was a big game, a big moment in the game also. But like we had opportunities. And I know you see, it's easy will to point towards you know statistics in this instance and say, oh, they had eleven scores and they had more shots than us. But the question I'd be asking myself is like from a tactical base, is why and how was this happening? And it was simply down to our, our tactical switch. And we allowed Limerick to get into a phase of play or a type of play that suits them that they're the best at. Like, if you're going to play Limerick, you can't play them at their game. You've got to play them at your game. And for the first 25, 30 minutes, I thought, right, we're playing the game. I wouldn't say fully in our terms, but we're playing it in such a manner that we can contest with. And so it was keep at it. And so when we changed tactics after 30 minutes, we now move into a game that we can't contest Limerick at. That was proven because the the points differential after 25 minutes turned out to be Limerick plus, we're up what? We're up six and we ended up losing by nine, so Limerick plus 15. Do you know what I mean? And it was the same kind of situation you've seen in the Munster final a couple of years ago with Tipperary and, and Limerick. Now, I won't say Tipperary did a tactical change, but Limerick just came out and upped the gears entirely. Whereas in this, in this instance, I thought we were partly facilitators of our own downfall. As well as, look at, and I, again, I, I, I hate mentioning them, but I, I would have to question some of the refereeing decisions, to be honest. You know, now I would question that referee in general. For, uh, but in some of the decisions he made Was that down to an inconsistency scale where I think as a neutral watching this game it felt at times very picky on freeze next yeah. thing the game is allowed to flow for a while and then there was a picky period and towards the end it felt like you couldn't get a free for anything Yeah I see sometimes you can get a read and a ref sometimes you can kind of feel what, what kind of decisions he's going to make to, depending on what type of tackle or what time you know you can get a feel for them so you can kind of play him a small bit whereas yesterday and look this is for Limerick folk alike I didn't know what was a free. I couldn't make out, especially in the first half, I didn't know what was going to be free. And it was interesting enough, actually, I spotted him on four occasions raising his arm and taking down again. That's an awful sign from a referee. Terrible. That, I mean, that, that just shouts uh, pure indecision in, in, in my book. And like there was a couple of big, big decisions that went on. And you're saying yourself, they had big impacts in the game. Like for Limerick's second goal, um, not going to be wrong, Galway had opportunity to clear the ball. But for Limerick's second goal, Sean Lennon was clearly fouled. Clearly fouled, you know what I mean? And the, the lim- time plays on and it ends up in the back of the net. That's a big moment. That's a big moment for, for, you know, for a referee to miss. And again, it, it, it has an impact. I know people will, will pick out at the overall limit performance, which I agree with, was better than Galway. But I just pick out a couple of big big moments in games whereby if that didn't happen, would, would it have steered the game in a different direction? Like these, these are moments we talk about in sports that somehow like, like they can influence the results. But if... if like if Limerick had won by two points, I would be screaming. <laughs> I'd be absolutely screaming. But when they won by eight or nine, you know, I hold my hands up and says, "Yeah, we're fairly beaten." And best looks them in the final. 
Um, just to bring you back to the Nicky Quaid uh, alleged contact lenses moment where uh, the game gets slowed down. Uh, writer Tom Clancy broke this down quite nicely. So he's, uh, he's given it the Quaid stoppage timeline is how he's headlined this. So go away point from a free comes 24 minutes in. Restart after the stoppage after the free was on 25 minutes 42. So for 63 seconds, the game was stopped. Galway won yeah. the next ball, wheeling wide. Flanagan was then hooked. Galway free, Glennon fist pump. Nash wide, which is the seventh wide of the game. Limerick free, Burns point on the 29th minute. Concannon goal chance, which was the Mike Casey block, wasn't it? Um, then you Darrow Donovan point, which was uh, off the end of that goal chance on the 30th minute. The blood sub for Cooney a minute later than that. Concannon scores a point a minute and a half later than that. Galway go on to 113. So in the seven minutes after the stoppage, Tom has pointed out that Limerick won that period by two points to one. And there was a goal chance for Galway in between it. Then yeah. maybe is there a possibility that we've overstated how the game switched after that Quaid moment? Well, that's my point, Will. That's what I'm saying. When people, as a, as in general, they get swayed by emotion, you see. So that we've lost the game and they pick out one or two moments and say, that's how we lost the game. You know? And like the media, what they'll do is they look at the Quaid incident and go, yeah, that's, that, that was a huge turning point for Limerick. And fair enough, they got a couple of messages on. But Galway had ample opportunity to do the same thing. We could have done the same thing with our hurley carriers or our management team, whatever. So we could have got messages on. And, and we didn't, or, or sorry, not that we didn't, I just didn't see them, or didn't hear of it. Mm. But again, it's it's a it's a focal point, and it's a popular topic for media to pick on. But that wasn't the losing the game of Galway. Galway, as I said, I, I noticed when I watched the game back, we had plenty of opportunity to extend our lead in, in, after the, how was it, seven minutes? How many minutes did you say? Seven minutes? Yeah, yeah basically it was seven minutes. six, seven minutes there, yeah. So we, we had plenty of opportunities. Like, if you said to me, Limerick won that 6-0, I... I'd be looking for a bit more evidence then, you know what I mean, as to, as to um, the, the impact that Nicky had on that. But when the, it was 2-1, I'm not going to say an awful lot. Because even in the second half, when you know when the game was kind of getting away from Mrs. Bobbitt, we still had opportunities. We still had shots. We still had easy touches to make, easy catches to make, easy passes to give, and we didn't give them. You know, Some of our decision-making yesterday left a lot to be desired. And again, like if you, if you can get yourself into a position whereby you make the right decision it gives you a better platform going forward. When you make a wrong decision, you either concede a free or give the ball away. And those margins are massive against a team like Limerick because they will punish you because their efficiency rate in the middle third is often above 95% in terms of passing. So it's very hard to get the ball back off them if you turn it over in the middle third. I um, want to bring in this point coming in from James O'Connor. Not sure if you agree or disagree with this, scale, but is the pattern of a slight Limerick underperformance in the first 25 to 30 minutes of recent games then seeing out the game a purely tactical decision or are they trying to save the legs? I think Ryan Edouard was talking about this a little bit earlier on OTB as well where he said it was a little bit like rope-a-dope in that Limerick will absorb... Um, I kind of paraphrase him here, but they'll absorb, say, the fact that a team really goes at them and then Limerick have it in the tank when it comes into the third quarter and fourth quarter of the game? Yeah, see, me personally, my own opinion is I, I find that hard to believe how a team would set themselves up that way. Um, I think you're probably, now again, the, the results show the Limerick won, but you're kind of inviting unnecessary trouble. And I think you're talking about very honest people in, in the Limerick team as a whole, management and, and players. I can see them, you know, exert or ex- taking on the pressure then to, to, to then throw it back to them. I, I feel like they'll go out and give, you know, 110%. And just it's just the nature of the way the games are that they start off at frantic starts. And I think probably what they do is they utilise the first 15 or 20 minutes, maybe Canuck, again, I'm just speaking out loud here, probably uses that period to do an assessment on the opposition or do an assessment on their own game plan and then make a couple of tweaks. Because often we were seen, if you remember back in the COVID years, um, where we had the water break wheel at, at 17 or 18 minutes, similar periods, you could say, 
whereby mm-hmm. then the tactics board will come out, the messages going to Limerick, and they will seemingly come out and, and transform. Because if you go back to the statistics and look at uh, those games that Limerick partook in when, when the water break was in place, they more often than not won the next period. They more often than not won the second period and the fourth period. So I just think it's, it's good management on their behalf that they're able to get messages into the games when they're live. And then it's very, very good management on, on behalf of the team, the players themselves, that they're able to actually take on those messages and apply them into a live game, which is very difficult to do. Uh, look at this. Is this? I hope this is the Joe Quaid who was there when the chair came down. Uh, hi, lads. Did Galway do a scale on it and collapse the chair while in full flow? Uh, to God, no. Could, could oh, you're talking about Dolan. Sorry, I, I, I yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was there for a second. I said, What's this fucker on about? <laughs> no, it's, a rare, it's a reference on a reference here, Scott. Yeah, the, the chair. I didn't clap that. That chair went from under me. I believe I was sabotaged. Yeah, <laughs> down Limerick. Yeah, um, a, a collapse is hard. You know, because he again, I go back to it. It's popular to say, like, and I, I read some comments today from some of the the RTE pundits about and some of the things they were saying about you know, leadership and collapse and management decisions and. I'll go along with some of it. You know, I, I really would, but I won't go along with all of it. And I don't think this was a fundamental collapse. Like, I think it was you know, part of it. We didn't help ourselves at all. And I think when we look back as a county or as, as a team or whatever, and the players themselves, like where we just completely lacked energy and lacked purpose and intent in that kind of set. The, the, I suppose call it the third and fourth quarter, the second half of the game, really, really, overall. We lacked an awful lot of energy. And, you know, when, when someone hits you a punch, you want to punch them back. Do you know what I mean? And like we got punched a few times by Limerick in, in certain elements, and we didn't punch back. And like that—that's where and I, I, I'm a big believer. I'm looking at body language the whole time, and I, I would look at—I look at Limerick, and I look at Man City, and you know these teams, right? When things are getting tough, I look at their body language, and Limerick always seem to have a positive body language. They take like like a, a strong position. I mean, yesterday, especially in the third quarter, when Limerick had thrown the punches, our body language went down. You know, it looked really, it went really, really down. And I, I gave it half time when I saw Les walking in. I was going, "Fuck, <laughs> you know what I mean? this doesn't look good." Because normally, when a team sprints into the dressing room, they look like they're intent on getting back out again. Mm. You know what I mean? Whereas I think Galway had probably taken a couple of punches before half time, and uh, just, just we didn't recover. That was size. It was mixed with, mixed with a, a bit of a tactical, uh, you know, miss, miss. How do I put this now? Not a mismatch, but a tactical fuck up. <laughs> <laughs> it's the only way I can put it, to be honest. I hate flipping shadow me words, but that's just reality. But because if I put it into numbers perspective for yeah, in before 31 minutes, right? Connor Whelan, this is very interesting now. Connor Whelan got eight deliveries in, in, mm. in yesterday. Connor Whelan won six of those deliveries on, on Darren Morrissey, Mike Casey, and Barry Nash. Connor Whelan was making hay because of, he won six of, the, of those eight deliveries, and we got uh, a British way, we got a point free out, point free in, point, point wide. That's that's a fair return now for, for one man. So then if you look at the second half, he got two deliveries, one point. Two deliveries. Because does, does this mean you brought your did you bring your magic notebook into Crow Park with you then? No, I brought my phone. I've all my notes here on my phone. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I was I was really well, hoping like, this could have been a this could have been a debut for the uh, for the actual book. I have a heavy phone and it's well, yeah, so look at he got two deliveries in the second half and only one point. One point came over and that's where the possession stopped. Yeah, I just drifted out of the game as a result. Uh, I'm with Fiol here, by the way. Scale is on the wrong side of the screen. It's quite disconcerting. Well, look, when we get Murph back now in a minute, um, he's escaped his box. I'll put the overlay back on and we'll put everyone into the right position then. I just didn't have one made uh, that we could actually um, we could actually use. There was a few questions coming in as well. Um, and again, yeah. we'll 100% talk a little bit more about Limerick in a second, but just uh, kind of on the Galway side of things, there was a couple of questions saying, what do Galway need to improve next year? Because I was listening 
listen to um, Henry Shefflin speaking after the game. I actually can play you a few seconds of what Shefflin had to say about where he felt it went wrong during the game and what goal we have to do uh, to try and close the gap to Limerick. So here's Henry Shefflin uh, from his press conference after the game. We knew Limerick are a strong quarter three team and you're hoping just to stay in the game and start to come a little bit. But as I said, all the momentum, it was, it was like as if they were just starting to really get going and ratchet it up and... Uh, yeah, they were just we were putting out fires all over the place and just that middle third, you know, half back midfield, half forward line, they just started to dominate there and uh, we just couldn't get any foothold at all in the game. I think that happened after about 24 minutes. I think Brian or uh, Brian Cannon shot was cleared off the line by Mike Casey. They went down the field, Dara Dunavan got a point instead of going maybe eight up, it was back to four. And from then on they just squeezed it, particularly in that middle third, and their power really took over in the second half. Yeah, they, they were they were very, very impressive, you know. So um, but it said that we tired, probably some of our players didn't play to the level that they they'll be very disappointed ourselves. And I think as a collective, you'd have to be disappointed because you know, I spoke during the week with yourself and I said I felt we were in a better place this year to really attack this game and go at it. So, And I just think the body of work we've done all year set us up nicely for that. So we're very disappointed now heading back down the road because we brought a lot of fight with last year and that fight just kind of went out of us during the second half a little bit, which is very disappointing and very disappointing for our supporters who travel in great numbers. So there you go. That's what Henry Shefflin had to say after the game. Uh, Detox 101 making the point as well. Shefflin told him to go one inside on 30 minutes. So yeah, that was I think picked up on the TV covers. I know if you saw it at uh, Croker Scale, he actually had kind of pointed in and shouted uh, one in the full forward line at that point in the game, uh, which is seen as kind of a, a real change in point. They were six points up at the time. They knew Limerick have a great second half. So how is that enough of a lead? And then stood up looking at it for 40 minutes, shaking my head. That's the frustration if you're a Galway fan, isn't it? That, yeah. you know, it's working up until that point. So there's no need to make that change and go conservative. Yeah, there wasn't, in my opinion. Now, look, maybe they saw something different, different to us, but at the time, we're, in a, we're on the front foot. We're in a good position. We are, like, we're, we're, we're playing go-forward ball that is that has given us returns. And so to change that, I, again, I, I don't have the answer, Will, as to why we changed it. Um, I don't have, again, I couldn't assess the problem. As to why we change it, like obviously something would, would would stand out to me. Like if we were getting opened up in the middle or getting opened up in our full back line, you may say, right, bring back a sweeper, do something to that to that front. But to bring out an extra man and go one up front when Connor Whelan was making so much ground, I couldn't really fathom it. And in in game, will it took me honestly speaking, it took me three or four minutes to realise it because mm-hmm. I, I, I suppose you're, you're watching the game as a supporter, and you can imagine me I'm jumping up and down as well like any other. And then I can see the one up top because we weren't getting much ball in in from like minute thirty three to thirty seven. Um, and then I, I couldn't. I have no question. I have no answers for it, Will, as to why why it happened. But it's, it's just so frustrating because I repeat, when you're a team like if you win 15 on 15 versus Limerick, and you line us out one to 15, and you go through all the teams and you write who will I pick off each team. Like to be truthfully honest, you're picking the vast majority of, of Limerick players versus Goy players. Like in in today's game, probably less than a handful of Goy players against the Limerick team. That's that's the fa- that's the reality. So for us to get over Limerick, we have to play ultra well as as a team, and that means we have to be tactically above Limerick we have to get around them like, we, you can't play powerball against Limerick in my opinion you have, to, you have to play it to your system and try to get around them so when you mm. then invite them to play their system that's where I get a bit concerned you know then you're inviting then you're, what you're doing is you're bringing their ratings up you're bringing their efficiency up you're getting their players played the way they feel comfortable because I can tell you hand in heart I can picture those Limerick players they're, they're, they're comfortable with being uncomfortable in training the way they, they played yesterday were all the small side of games you can imagine in the middle third like they've done that in training over and over and over again, so they've they've grown accustomed to it, and now they're nearly they can neutralise any team that tries to do, do the reverse to him. 
dim. So that's why it's kind of disappointing. And the trouble is, you're out of the championship, lads. You're out of the championship. And it's, it's, it's the gas thing about sport. Like, I went from two weeks ago celebrating delighted to today to being sick it. You know what I mean? But so be it. That's where we are. We just have to keep moving on. And uh, if we are the Galway supporters across, I think we probably... We, we understand like that we have a bit to do before we progress in our own final, truthfully speaking. And then you look, you look at today's game and you go, geez, we should have beaten Kikini Leinster final. <laughs> and look, we're there. But again, Kikini showed up, stuck to the plan and they're, they're where they deserve to be. Yeah, uh, look, at, again, we'll talk about Kilkenny a lot more when Murph arrives in apparently two minutes. He's about to turn the key in the door, he's claimed in the uh, the WhatsApp group there, so he should be with us very soon. No doubt he'll have to find his laptop, find his headphones, could be two or three minutes, but uh, he'll be with us in a moment. Uh, Sean, the Nicky Quaid thing is the definition of clutching at straws. Now, in fairness to Skell, I don't, Skell hasn't said it had a massive impact. I think it's been uh, played up as a narrative a lot more elsewhere uh, going into this one. And also a few people on the, well, here's our good friends at Crack of the Ash, uh, the Nicky Quaid thing costs one minute in the game, one minute in stoppage, big whoop. And also, I saw some people, if, if we're going to go back to 2018 on this one, where the debate has been raging on YouTube about Nicky Quaid's block or save, whatever way you want to put it, against Cork in 2018, compares to what happened today. Like, as a former inter-county goalkeeper, how do you pick between the two of them, Skell? Um, well, in fairness, let's say, again, I always go off technical difficulty, level difficulty, and the amount of info Nicky was given. So what I mean by that is, I think it was Seamus Harrandy. I'm open to correction there now, but I think Seamus Harrandy got the ball and stepped back in so he could he could read, throws up the ball. Nicky, Nicky is in form straight away. Seamus, or Seamus stepping back in, it's going to be shot, he can block it down. Murphy had no information. Murphy had nothing. Mm. Murphy didn't see the ball coming, didn't know it was going to be a double, had no time to react. So again, I always go by technical difficulty and that's why I think in terms of grade, Murphy's was like a 9.5, whereas Nicky's, for, Nicky's in terms of difficulty was probably like a 6, but his, his adaption to, to go and block down Seamus was top class. And again, in the phase of the game where it was, like that had a huge bearing point on where Limerick started their journey, if you know what I mean. If that ball goes in, the Limerick journey doesn't get started. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But ultimately it did. And it, so again, again top, class, top class saves in top class moments. A lot of questions coming in about uh, Keane Lynch and pointing out the amount of ball that he got on. Patrick Coleman here. Was Lynch the difference between this year and last year when it came to the margin of the win? So was Lynch that much of a difference, Gal? Um, I thought he was excellent yesterday. I thought his ability to get the real tight ball uh, and break up kind of Gowie's Gowie's defensive play in the middle. Like People don't look at that. They look at Lynch when he's on the ball. Like Lynch is a superb tackler. And he's, he's extremely strong, guys. And he's a great link man. I, I love having a a centre forward or a midfielder who I, I class them as um, I suppose connectors is the word I'd use you know whereby they can both defend and they can link the play they can attack they have great hands they can bring players in around them that's why I was excited to see Cahill Manning yesterday centre forward and then depressed to see him come back come back deeper you know what I mean the second half because both players great connectors can link can shoot can cause awful damage and then what we were saying last week we'll, they can occupy a six or occupy a half back line and Lynch's, Lynch's A is, is amazing at that um, like last year I suppose he had a I suppose he had a bit part play I don't mean to be disrespectful but you know, he was injured and he had a bit part play in the championship mm-hmm. um, whereas this year now like he had a, a, a full game yesterday hopefully he'll be fit for the final and again he's a huge plus to have Like I, I, we didn't even speak of him last week because we didn't know if he was going to be playing or not and like I, we, I always say I want to see the best players playing the biggest, biggest games so like I, I want to see him playing well because he's a joy to watch truthfully speaking even though I were on the wrong side of it yesterday Hmm. Um, look at this Sauce Brown Scale sounded like he wants to be the next Galway manager well uh, listen to me I would have to pack the bag move out of the house <laughs> she'd throw me straight out that's a fact <laughs> with a third child in the way she'd say you know what just go <laughs> just go 
So basically working with the Galway Miners was about as much as you were allowed to do then. Yeah, and like I'm not even understating that. Like that's as much as I was allowed to do. Do you know <laughs> not as much as I could do, as much as I was allowed to do. I just want yeah. peace at home, Will. I just want peace at home, right? <laughs> uh, I, I think it's good advice after getting kicked into the spare room after Cheltenham last year. I think you've probably learned the message along the way. Yeah, four days has been the spare room. I think this is a fair point coming in from William uh, Doyle here as well, is that Limerick have to take quite a bit of credit for this too. So Limerick management reacted to Galway going well. Galway management never dealt with the Limerick change after that. Like, to Limerick's credit, once they kind of worked out what Galway were doing, Limerick adapting game. And I feel like we've talked about this a lot over the last couple of years. This Limerick team are fantastic at finding solutions in situations in game. Yeah, but, but like, Will, Limerick don't have six or seven game plans. This is the thing you see. Limerick have... Limerick can go toe, this is the thing about Limerick, they can go toe to toe with you, they can go 15 and 15 and go toe to toe, they're great at that, but they can also play around you. So the, what I'm saying is they are the best team in the country, and I mean by a margin now, by a good margin of playing the, I suppose, between 5 and 25 yard passes. They are, they're absolutely fantastic at that. Like the, the angle of their runs and the option of their runs that they have, it's actually, there's probably 10 or 12 different runs that they make. Now that's very hard to understand, but for example, a puck out comes down yesterday, a long puck out, Kyle Hayes gathers it. Who loops around him? Dan Morrissey. Do you know what I mean? Dan Morrissey, or not Dan Morrissey, sorry, Tom Morrissey, going forward, loops around him and then delivers the ball into the corner for land for a point. Like that's, that's a, I wouldn't call that a structure move, but that's a training ground move, a defensive setup, whereby Morrissey knows straight away he's in space. And just Limerick do, do that kind of, I won't call it unorthodox, but they do it fierce well. And then look at the way they closed out the game. It, was a, it reminds me a bit of Dublin when they were under pomp. They brought back like 10 or 11 lads and they just played the ball around for like a minute and burned a minute. And you'd, you'd see Hegarty back there. He had seven lines back, but he didn't occupy the seven position as we, as we all know. But they're just, they're, just, they're just deadly at the link play. They're deadly at 20, 20 yard passes. And when you mix 20 yard passes taken at a supreme level with excellent runs, man, you open up any team. You just open up the teams. And go, we tried that. And we tried it yesterday for periods trying to link passes, but just didn't go to hand, ball to foot, ball behind you. You know what I mean? We just didn't do it as good as they did. And it's as simple as that. I, I'm always saying it, Will. If you try to play Limerick with their game, they beat you. Look who it is. Fresh from Virgin Media yesterday morning, the BBC today, <laughs> OTB yesterday, OTB on, was it Thursday night as well? Yeah, well, it now, to be po- fair, that was covering Skehill. That was covering Skehill, but anyway. Well, this is true. Uh, certainly that seemed <laughs> to be the claim. So I'm going to set it up here. Murph, congratulations on making it home and reasonably good time in the end. You're Thanks very much. Me, I, can only, I can only apologise for being late, folks. But I was listening to you, to be fair. I was listening to you there, though. Oh, there you go. We're all around. We're all Take me out the place, so. There we go. Kind of feels a bit more comfortable now, doesn't it? Kind of back towards normal now. So. Hi, Murph. It was a good weekend for you, bye. Great weekend. Not in the current climate, you can't speak about those things. The more than me three weeks ago, you met hey, boy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this reminds me, I meant to stick the picture of the bridge in here somewhere. I'll have to send that to myself uh, while we're chatting here. But um, Murph, give us your take on, uh, on Limerick and Galway then, because we've obviously been talking about it there for the last 20 minutes or so. Um, yeah, it was... I, I was really impressed with Galway when they when they kicked in at the very start. Um, like even from the puckouts, they seemed to be overloading one side of the pitch, and but given an option of a runner shooting to the far side as well, um, which seemed to work really well for them. Um, and like even in the tackle, they got a few of the breaks, even as well a few of the freeze. Like even to be fair, I know freeze kind of went both directions, but there was a part at the start of the game, like it was with Ashing O'Reilly during it, and just before a ball came down one end of the pitch. Aaron Galan's hurl was pulled out of his hand 
and he played on. The crowd were giving out about it around that end of the pitch. And Galway turned the ball over and Park Mannion came out and it was a free. So even those few things were kind of going their way, the tough calls. But then it just seemed to be just before half time. Look, again, it's 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 um, saying what everybody knows, that just Limerick got those few scores. Galway hit the few wides, you know, stepped away from kind of what they were doing. And in particular, like when you saw they were going in at half time, one point down, you were just saying for all the hurling they're after doing and Limerick are still here. Um, and going out in the second half, it just seemed like a completely different Galway altogether that they stepped away from what they were doing in, in the first half. And um, I don't know what it was. I don't, I don't know why they stepped away from it. Maybe they overthought the situation, but you also felt as well that anyway, after about 10 or 15 minutes, that Limerick just turned up the heat. And, it, you know, I heard Henry speaking after the game and he just said there was too many fires in too many positions that we just couldn't put out. And I think that was it. Like, for me, really, it was always going to be a tale... Um, looking back at it, of how far could Galway get ahead and how long could they sustain holding off Limerick then um, for the 70 minutes if they were going to beat them? Because, look, we, we call this as being a close game, but when you saw how powerful Limerick were yesterday, if you were going back and calling this one again, knowing how powerful Limerick were, you were going, it's hard to, hard to see around them. So, look, Galway can be disappointed in parts, but at the same time, you can nearly swallow a defeat like this when you go we were beaten by the better team and that's just the nature of it. And nearly, I, I felt there was a part of that in Henry's voice in his interviews afterwards. Mm. Uh, a lot of people comment on how sharp you're looking. Is this the shirt you were still wearing on TV earlier? It, it absolutely is. I ran out of the Hogan stand, down into the car, straight into traffic uh, and out and gone. So I didn't have the luxury. That's the respect I have for you, lads. I wasn't dilly-dallying trying to change or anything like that. Uh, I also like this uh, Danny Mac one is trying to point out here at least we know the pod will still be fine if Murphy and Skehel ever fall out that's not going to happen no I looked after Skehel yesterday actually big time now I don't know if Crow Park will slap down on us but I really looked after Skehel yesterday well it was great it didn't work for getting out it was a disaster they wouldn't ah, come on now <laughs> <laughs> that's a fair complaint to have it took I'd... me it took me one hour and one minute to get three kilometres right yeah it took me one hour and 29 minutes to get 160 kilometres yeah once you get out of that traffic yeah yeah, yeah. Yeah. So hold on, how did you help me? You got him into the press box, did you? No, I had a pass for the car park down the back. Uh, and it, I won't say, but like I, I ran up the street then, I rang Skettle and said, how are you getting on? No one, he, his wife is eight months pregnant. Yeah. And uh, no one, that a normal man might leave her at home, but no. <laughs> <laughs> Grace, to be fair to her, she isn't like that. She goes to the games. So yeah. I ran up the street and uh, there was a part where it was like something out of a New York film. I was running down the middle of the street in the traffic going on the phone to Skehel going where are you and I had a, an A4 sheet in my hand with a parking pass on it to give to him and this fella you're, you're old in style Skehel big grey two rag <laughs> I tell you <laughs> it's a five year five year loan Skehel is it no, no loan yeah. no permission from Newstalk it's, a, it's selling, ad- selling hay and selling- <laughs> I bet it's, it's an ad hoc arrangement um, we'll move on to the other game in a second because obviously uh, we'll get Murph's take on Kilkenny against Clare today but Murph just want to ask you what did you make of uh, of Keane Lynch's performance because we were just discussing that just before he came on yeah he got on a, a decent amount of ball um, again I suppose I'm going to reference Ashley O'Reilly once or twice in this because we were bouncing a few things off each other just during the game mm. and like didn't didn't have a huge amount of notes about him, but he was involved in the game. Um, like I think we we often certainly I'd be guilty of it looking back on Keen Lynch and in any individual performance and kind of comparing him to the twenty twenty one final against Cork, for example, where he was just incredible. And you know a few of those games and 
like you have to realize he's like Tony Kelly. He's like TJ. He gets man marked when he goes out and can't be as influential. And maybe Limerick have realized down through the years as well that you know it's it's obviously good not to rely on one player. But no, he was involved. He was involved in a lot of tackling, a lot of hard work as well. When he got ball, invariably he was smothered up, but he was involved and he didn't have a bad game. Yeah, I think there's quite a few Kilkenny fans, um, a bit like this one, which has come in here about uh, from John Brennan. Who was in the All-Ireland last year? Who was in the league final this year? Who won the Provincials this year and last year? Is it a coincidence? So that's Limerick against Kilkenny again. Um, Kilkenny haven't come out on top in either the All-Ireland final or the league final scale. And a lot of people have been asking, is this Kilkenny team good enough to actually challenge Limerick in a couple of weeks' time? Well, again, I, I always say at this podcast, I'm, I'm an evidence-based approach person, right? And... Like, we can throw shade or doubt at Kinney when they're coming up against the likes of Limerick, but they just have the answer. Like, they just keep battling back. And I, I, again, last week, I tipped, I tipped Clare. I thought they'd win the game. And when Clare came romping back in the second half and threw, you know, in like a boxing match, threw every single punch they had at them, Kinney go and do what they always do. They turn over someone and then create a goal. And they just see out the game. Now, mixed with some absolute super class stuff from, from the likes of Owen Cody and Owen Murphy, etc., which you need. Every team needs someone like that, uh, people to, to, to create big moments in, in, in victories. But like they just grind. I would say it's such a grace. Like they just have this grunt. I, that's the only word I can think of and use is like whereby whatever's thrown at them, they will match it. And then more often than not, they exceed it. So I don't, I don't honestly believe it's a coincidence. I think both teams are there fully on merit. Um, Kikini are fully on merit. And at the end of the day, like I, I suppose last year, when I looked at the game preview, I said that Limerick could win by three or four points. But this year, like Kilkenny just they keep roaring back. And there's a lot to be said for that fight. You know what I mean? Kilkenny should have lost Linster final, to be fair. They should have lost Linster final, but they didn't. It's as simple as that. The record will show they didn't. They fought back and they fought back gallantly. And then yesterday, when, when you would think that the, the tide was turning and Kilkenny were, were going to turn them over and keep rolling, they didn't. They fought back and they, they, they saw it out. So their full, val- full val- value for their victories and full value for their position and I think it's going to be a great final, to be honest. I don't think it's going to be as straightforward as some may think. Hmm. Uh, like Murphy, it's almost the opposite of what happened to Galway. So Kilkenny find themselves in a good position, are five points up, and then Clare eat back into the lead. You're starting to think, is there going to be another kick in Kilkenny? And then they get the own Cody goal, which was somewhat self-inflicted for Clare. I would say hmm. largely self-inflicted with the way they lost the ball coming out. But Kilkenny had that about them. And Kilkenny had a way of finding a couple of frees that they won towards the end of the game to get in front. And then we get the outrageous save from Owen Murphy at the end. But unlike Galway, who faded out of the game, Kilkenny stuck in it at difficult points in the second half today. They did, yeah. And and it was those, you know, it was those moments really, it's easy said afterwards, which defined them. But um like even if you were to compare with Claire, like where uh who was it went through on goal? Owen Murphy makes a save, and then you have is it Galvin and um, who was it as well? Two lads basically come through anyway, and Galvin goes to rise it. The goal Roger. chance and Rogers, wasn't it? Yeah. And like you're there looking at that, for example, going if that happens, Limerick, Limerick don't. Oh, well, it doesn't happen, Limerick. You no, know, Galan comes in, and he pulls on it, and it was those few things, the decision making there that just, that just, I suppose, not to say it let Claire down. It'd be unfair to say, but just that. I suppose sold sold him short a small bit, but oh, I was looking when TJ scored a point. I think that put him ahead as a the all time scorer. You know, the, the short puck out came to Shane Amory, and TJ went sprinting out from full forward to try and turn him over. Now he didn't get to him in time, but if Shane Amory stalled at one a, a moment longer, he would have got to him. But then when you go and look at the goal, that's what the full forward line were doing. Like I mean, you're looking at what the forty fifth or fiftieth minute there, and the full forward line are sprinting out to try and cut out. 
that player puck out and they turned it over like and it was they ground out those sort of opportunities and it wasn't a case that absolutely Clare should have got rid of gotten rid of the ball but it was Kilkenny gambling that you know Hayes is going to hold on to this ball for a fraction of a second longer and I'm just going to get a little bit of a flick that'll just be about be enough so Kilkenny rolling the dice on those moments um, you know, paid off. But also, you'd have to say at the same time, they'll have parts where they're like, lads, we need to improve. Like own Cody going down the sideline there where um, he, he cuts in by the sideline, takes a slap off Adam Hogan. Adrian Mullen standing in the middle, roaring at him, giving the ball, and own Cody takes on the shot. And you can see Adrian Mullen is raging with him. So, like, if, if, if the game went the other direction, I think we'd be looking back at Kilkenny going, ah, oh, look, this is the reason they lost is because. So, on both sides today, to be fair, there was a few decisions where they'd look back and they'll rule it. Certainly Kilkenny going forward and Kilkenny have the luxury going forward now saying, lads, we can't do this against Limerick. But, and I think the big one for Clare really is that Clare, I couldn't get over to Shane Amore. He was starting, no offence at, at all, but that it was the fact that they were starting on the back foot by playing mm-hmm. sweeper. And Kilkenny got 15 scores in the first half. You go to the second half where they push up and, and like we were saying, we were looking at it going, like these lads have to push up and they do. And so, like, Kilkenny get, if I'm right in saying, they get less scores in the second half. I'm trying to toss it up in my head. I think they get less scores in the second half by Clare just pushing up and going on the attack and working the ball out. They hit a lot of aimless ball in the first half, Clare. And then suddenly they started running the ball and asking the questions of Kilkenny to step out. And Kilkenny started fouling. Clare started getting a few more frees. And then the opportunity started open, opening up in front. So I would say Clare, very similar to Galway, will rue the fact that they went with a game plan when there was another game plan uh, up for grabs that would have possibly won them the game you know yeah I am putting Monty's comment up there for you as well Skell and that one is I can't understand what player changed their setup in the first half that cost uh, again I don't know why that was obviously a pre-planned move that was a change they made before the game why did players set up like that in the first half I think it's a couple of reasons Will I think first of all like great credit must go to Cleary for getting back from the shoulder injury you know seven, seven weeks since the 21st of May to get back I don't know how he got back and, 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 and lasted, you know, the trials and tribulations of a high-intense game. So fair play to him. But I think there was probably an admittance on behalf of the management team that their full back line was, was going to be under pressure. You know, truthfully speaking. And that, when you see Shane Amore starting in corner forward, you, you, everyone knows that he's going to go back in as a sweeper. And it didn't help them at all because they went away from what they were doing this year. They were This year, no matter who the opposition was, they were going 15 on 15 and having at it. And I, that just kind of, it was a page of someone else's book. You know, it wasn't out the Clare book this year. And like, I, I would wonder, and I would question this because if I put myself into the Clare players' shoes and said, right, we're going with a major tactical change here now this late in the game. Is this really for us? I would question that in my head and go, you know, maybe not because it goes against the grain. And like the grain has been proven really beneficial for Clare this year. Because barring one or two incidents, they're monster, monster champions and they're playing Galway yesterday. But ultimately, they went away from what their, <clears throat> I suppose, their identity was this year. And their identity was 15 on 15 and playing a high-paced game. And it cost them. And like and I, I said, and I'm a big fan of Brian Lohan, and I said here before Murphy came on, um, that both losing managers will have, you know, they have questions to answer for, for, mm-hmm. for, for some tactical changes. Like, And again, I'm a big fan of both managers. I really am. I, I like their styles. I like their personas. I like what they're about. But some of the, the tactics that went into play yesterday, or yesterday and today ultimately cost the team. And that's the reality of it. And like, I suppose in Gaul's instance, we were outplayed for most of the game. So let's put that aside. But in Clare's instance, when they win 15 on 15, you know, they won the second half. 
Like, I think they won the second half by two points, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken. Would that be right? Yeah, correct, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. like, they won the second half. So, it just, it just showed that they went, when they went back to the game plan that they utilised all year, it was majorly beneficial to them. And regardless of who came in, like, when people came in, they lost Taylor, big loss. But when people came in, they added to the whole system and, and it was like uh, business as usual. So, applying a sweeper, oh, God, I don't know. It's a big decision. And I think when... when time passes and like whether it be a month or two and the management team sit down and assess their situation and their tactical decisions they will rue that they will rue that big time because the championship will be over and they got knocked out of the same stage and the more than Galway I think Clare's last win in Crow Park would be the 2013 Ireland replay would I be right and say that? I think so yeah. I think so yeah yeah and like Galway's last win I know we said I think it was back in like 2020 a, a provincial championship game but beyond that it was going back to 17 so like both both counties, both Clare and Galway have abysmal records against their opponents over the weekend. Clare since ninety seven and Galway since 05. So yeah, the pain continues. Like before I bring Murphy in on that scale, there's an obvious follow up question here where you said, if I was a member of the Clare panel, I would have spoke to the management about that. At any point during your career did you have a questioning moment maybe of a manager's tactics before a game? Um because I'm going to assume Murph didn't challenge Cody too much, but go on. Yeah, I, I don't think so from a Gory perspective because if you look back through our 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 uh, our teams and say we always used to apply a 15 and 15, there was never really a sweeper applied. And I suppose when you go back, the only one instance I would think about was the 2012 period where we used to bring out Damien Hayes into, as a third midfielder. You know that kind of instance, but that was working for the team. So that when that was adopted early. So once once it was, it was adopted early, it became part of our identity. You know, and then we adopted it and we. We took it like a duck to water, but I'm saying I don't have any, I suppose, overriding memory. Will whereby we have a late stage game and we and we, there's a big change comes in because we haven't seen that done at all this year. We're clear. Uh, again, I'm open to correction, but I haven't seen you know Bear Conlon an out and out sweeper situated in front of the full back line. So it's that that was a huge change at a period when you know team clear were rightly ranked in the top three over the last number number of weeks, and I suppose that was with going 15 and 15. And then when you change that, that's where I'd, I'd raise the question marks. And I wouldn't say question the manager, but I would certainly, you know, I'd be questioning around me anyway. I'd have to be getting a question in there somehow, whether it be through the water boy and up to the selector or down to the manager. I'd have to be questioning, is there is there logic behind this? And ultimately, there wasn't. Yeah, I don't know if, um, or if John Brennan's been a little bit harsh here, saying that Clare have only performed when a green jersey was put in front of them this year. That's not I mean, like, there's no, there's no, no doubt that they raised their game to play against Limerick, but I think it's unfair to say that they've only performed in those couple of matches against Limerick so far. Yeah, it is unfair to say it. I mean, it certainly it's like a red rag to a bull uh, when they do see it. But, you know, every team probably has that team that, that they rise their game for that small bit more. And at the same time, they would love to be able to rise it for every other team. But, you know, it, it's it's not as easy. You can't just turn that on and off. But um, no, it's not fair. Like, I mean, Clare have been brilliant this year and we've seen so many games. And, you know, maybe, OK, started off at a slow pace against Tipperary the first day up in Ennis. But really, since then, you know, their stock rose um, and they were full value for money as well. And look, really built upon what they did last year. Um, you know, they, they just... I suppose it's, it's, it's little consolation for them that they pushed Kilkenny so close today because either way, you know, they lost last year and they lost this year. But, you know, Clare fans are going home this evening going like f- fully proud of that Clare team that, you know, they came up this year, banished last year, you know, to their memory and put in a savage performance and very easily, you know, with a few balls breaking a few different directions, could have came out of Crow Park today preparing for an All-Ireland final. Yeah. Uh, Kieran O'Connor, 
This is a very fair question because this was a, a real turning point in the game where if Rodgers gets the chance to put that ball into the net scale, it could have changed things around. Um, the whistle is blown to give for the free, but surely that was a moment when advantage should have been applied. Um, it's, it's, it's a hard one because I remember I was speaking about body language a few minutes ago. Mm-hmm. Um, again, if, as, as a guy watching on, on television, I, I looked at Lawler. I think Lawler, the ball dropped Lawler. And you can see like he, he clearly stops. So the whistle is clearly blown. So the play is over. So the play is not on, it's not on Hugh Lawler, it's not on Mark Rogers. The play is done at that stage, right? So, so when the goal actually happens, that's, that's, that's an incident that happens two or three seconds after the whistle is gone. So it's on the referee. And for me, like I was, again, as a neutral, if I was a neutral and looked at the, the Aaron Galan first goal yesterday, I would say that's, that's a good advantage. That, I have no problem with that advantage whatsoever. And that's why the, the advantage rule was actually adopted, was to have you know, situations of that develop. And again, from a clear perspective, if I was going to be neutral, I would say, yeah, let, let the play go. But it just it didn't. And overall, the referees, I see, it's very hard for me to be critical of referees. Now, yesterday, if you asked me at about half past seven, I would give you a different rendition of what I thought. But as, as a guy who's kind of calmed down now at the moment, I will say that the referee, although he did have some questionable decisions yesterday, I thought I, I'll give him a five out of ten. I won't, I won't think he was, I didn't think he was terrible. And I didn't think he influenced the game an awful lot. He influenced the game a bit. Today, I didn't think he was terrible either. But one or, one or two big decisions happened. And, you know, they kind of, I suppose, they had a bearing on the game, to be honest. You know, And I know it's easy for us. And it's a, it's a, it's a hot topic to pick on referees. But I, I, I do understand it is a thankless job. And they don't have enough assistance. I don't care what anybody says. And I do think it's high time. Like, forget about the Nicky Quaid thing. Oh, I see people on Twitter. We need to do something about this. I don't really care about that, to be honest. You know, I don't give a shit about that. I, I care about what happens in the rest of 70 minutes. I think the referee needs a second uh, needs a second assistant or what do you call it? A second referee. I don't know what you call it. A TMO. You know, so, something like that to, to assist him because we're asking too much of referees in today's game, in my opinion, because the game has gone so physical with arms, legs, you name it. I think it's very hard for referees to catch everything. So in, the overriding thing I'd say over this weekend was referees need more help. Yes, they were poor, but there's a reason they're poor. There's just an awful lot going on, <laughs> you know, in fairness. I would think, Murph, you were a relieved man. I think there was three points in it at that stage when the ball lands in Rogers' paw. He puts that ball into the net. It could well have changed the complexion of the game. Yeah, it could very easily have. Um, and where I was, I couldn't hear any whistle. So I was looking at it going... I thought the ball was buried in the net. Um, but when I look back at the replay, I'm fairly sure you can hear the whistle is kind of, once the ball hits Hugh Lawler's hand and spills out, he goes, right, blows the whistle. Like, in fairness, just as easy there, Rogers could spill the ball, go down, try and rise it, and no one speaks about this. Um, it's a tough one because it, it's just in the dead heat of the game. And a few decisions you could feel in the stadium the Clare fans felt went against them. Now they escape me at the moment as to what they were. But I remember at that moment thinking... There's a few decisions here, here, Claire. I think Billy Ryan had gotten shoulder just before it, um, and it was actually a decent shoulder as well from from the replay. But like Skell was saying, like in the moment, I couldn't call whether it was a free or not a free on the replay. Great, but we don't have replays for referees, so they're tough to call. But certainly at that time, I do remember the the Clare supporters feeling that there was a few decisions going against them. So I, I actually thought about column lines at the time, thinking that. Uh, there's a danger here if this could get out of hand for players if it boils over. So I think I saw him after that blowing a few more frees, kind of, I suppose, not to say take the sting out of the game, but to maybe calm players down because we've seen games where when decisions are going awry on both sides and suddenly yeah. a wild swing comes from frustration. Yeah. So it was right at that stage, I felt, where I mean, you could see Tony Kelly was right up in his face. Uh, and like probably not wise for Tony Kelly to be doing it either because you're hoping... 
it doesn't sway any decisions, you know, coming down the home straight either. But you could see what it meant at the time that Clare supporters were very frustrated. But Murph, did you, can I ask you a question when you were there, right? I thought it was noticeable on the television was like, I, and I'm the same way when I'm playing. I, I would question most things, but I've learned over time. Question the things you should question. Don't question everything. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so like, yeah, when, yeah. I, when I thought, like, Claire were remonstrating a good bit, you know? So, for example, when Owen Cody came in uh, along the line and, and Hogan did the slap, right? Yeah. They even questioned that. And I was going, that's, you know, <laughs> like, that's yeah, not... Yeah. Should be question. Yeah. So, do you think that I think that gets in the referee's head, whereby he says, "Right, these guys just question everything and kind yeah. of ignore what they're saying, ignore the remonstrations." Yeah, exactly. Like I think if 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 you were to step back from this and go, "Right, um, I'm refereeing a game here, and I don't really see something, and it's Tyg the Burker getting up to me, going, giving out." You're going, Tyg the Burker doesn't really give out. Like you have to it has to play an influence on you, but if you're the type of player that you know and I think we've all probably been guilty of it at different stages as players but trying to manage it then and manage it in your own I suppose to to, to your own advantage but if you're always giving out like you know I think Dermot Ryan gave out when he shoulder Richie Hogan in the head you know and then like okay up around the chest or whatever, but he turned around and gave out to Colin Hines you're going like I mean you can't overly give out about it yeah. whereas if you look in the second half or the first half Hugh Lawler kind of you know, argued with the referee to a small bit when he pulled down Shane O'Donnell and it was a pull down, but he kind of just went up and kind of just a little bit demonstration and just got on and said, okay, yeah, right. And I think Richie Reid fouled, fouled someone in the second half. I can't remember who it was. And I think he could have got a yellow for it, but it was it was at an important time for Clare. But Richie didn't even argue with it. Now, in fairness, a few of the Clare players weren't either, but there was, like you said, there was noticeable times where there was arguments happening. You're kind of saying like, choose your battles, you know, just choose your battles here because the one that might be on the fence that you're hoping to win, if you argue that one, you might just yeah. about get it. And like the funny uh, thing is, I should go back to not to sorry finish yeah. up, but uh, myself and Ashling had actually just noticed yesterday that there was a few occasions in the Galway Limerick match where I remember one ball was down in the corner for uh, in the Galway defence in, in in around the right corner back position, and James Owens put the hand up to go free, and I was like, oh, it's a free out, and then he just took it back down, and I went, and it, and it actually okay. turned over into a Limerick free. And there was a few times I turned to Ashley Murray and said, he's putting the hand up there. What is he is he putting the hand up and then waiting to see if it goes on? Because it's not an advantage. But I counted it twice anyway that that happened. I saw former. And I didn't know. Yeah. I was actually, I, I was asking her saying, what is that? What's happening there? Do you know? Yeah. So across the board, uh, we saw two different styles, certainly, of refereeing. And it couldn't be hard on column lines today either for, for the performance really though. Uh, do you feel slightly jealous at the moment, Skell, that he keeps on bringing up Ash at every single occasion here? He actually was talking to Ashling and she was making some very good points. A lot more respect than we usually get. Hey, that's very yeah. harsh. <laughs> no, I, I can't say a bad word about Murph now this weekend after giving me the pass. There you are now. <laughs> Give me the pass. Yeah, my, yeah, my, yeah. my wife likes him more than he likes me. And she likes me. <laughs> got her chair. Got her chair and managed to crawl park. Yep. Well, I wouldn't say we were walking. Uh, when we got there, right, we went to walk out towards the Crow Park Hotel. And this, this steward said, no, go around. And I was saying, what? Like, this, the go around now was mean, go back out the way we came off, out around the street and back down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I said, I was like, look at her, right? Let her go out. Anyway, I go around. No, yeah. go around. Go away. And I was like, would it be very bad if I caught your man and threw him out over the wall? Or <laughs> wrestled him and let Grace through? No, I had more sense than that. For once. Um, get, get your pen ready, Skell, or the phone, because 
It's about to explode on Mikey Butcher Watch. <laughs> oh, uh, because there's been many comments coming in. Queeveen here. Shocking that Murph has been here for 20 odd minutes and not a sniff of a mention <laughs> of Mikey Butler. Heresy. Uh, then you see Connor, Mikey Butler appreciation comment. There's been plenty of them along the way. People talking about Mikey Butler's role today. The fact he was spending more time up the field. I think I saw him being compared to Barry Nash at some point a few minutes ago as well. Uh, whether maybe he's learned from that with the way that he can be a threat further up the field as well. Murph. I'm putting a watch on this. I'm putting 60 seconds. Murph, go. That's it now. Mikey Butler, Mikey Butler, Mikey Butler, Mikey Butler. <laughs> 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 I'll just give you a blast of an there and you can go into my way. Um, yeah, he was great. And do you know something I accepted before this game? I was saying like the idea that you're going to tie him down to uh, going out and keeping Tony Kelly completely scoreless is ridiculous boundaries to give yourself. I think you only actually achieve that if you don't give yourself those boundaries. If you, if you, you, you nearly, I suppose put pressure on yourself and you, you might underperform going out and sure invariably what did Tony Kelly get did he get two points from play today was I right in saying that or was it one point I can't remember but no he got his one or two but at the same time there was a few points there where, where Mikey was taking the ball like he took one ball out of left half forward position as Kilkenny were working it out and you know I, I was sitting there kind of going he's actually asking questions here of Tony Kelly now Tony Kelly was you know he was influential in the game certainly but again, it was just that stifled influence he had on the game. Um, and there was even influences, where, there was even stages where I felt that he was going back, kind of dispossessing Mikey Butler. Um, so, like, but in fairness to him, apart from Shane O'Donnell's goal, I think Tony Kelly had a, had a hand in that. I think he took the ball out, popped it up, popped off the pass, went up to Shane O'Donnell, and he got the goal. Um, but no, look, it was another great performance. It's just building on his, on his repertoire of performances at this stage. But um, yeah, fair play to him. Great man. It- is the I Love Mikey Butler poster up behind Murph? It's not currently. No, no, no the painting's no. back. Painting's there. Painting's there. I had to get rid of it. Aiden told me, have to. Gone. You could only have it up. There was an amnesty. You could have it up for the hour for that podcast. <laughs> That's it. Done. Is that a Cuban flag behind you? Uh, I don't know what we have to go it here. It looks like Cuba, yeah? Yeah, it's Where Cuba. I got that, in, got that in Cuba a good few years ago. Very yeah, good. So that's Savannah. There you go. Um, look, one of my moments. Let's <laughs> This is this is a good question from Pwell seventy uh, four because we can stick on Butler for a second. Get it all out now. Mm. Who does Butler pick up in the final? Ooh. Different game now. It's a different Dif- game. Different game. Yeah. Today was legs v legs. Yeah. What? Today was legs v legs. You know what I mean? Yeah. I wonder, yeah. like, see, Casey is the type of player that drifts out the field. Like Tony Kelly and and, and Casey drift out around the field and you know get involved out there but they do two different types of jobs like Peter Casey literally will get involved in a ruck win a ball pop it off Tony Kelly will drift a small bit time is run and burst onto a ball and Mikey has to stay with that um, does he go on Flanagan I don't think he goes on Flanagan to be honest I think it might be Tommy Walsh on Casey I think it could be Casey Hugh Lawler on Flanagan I think we might see Mikey on Galan um, now Hugh Lawler's done good jobs on, on Galan Um and you kind of party just has to resign yourself to the fact that Galan is Galan. We saw what he did. It's a great catch against Davy Burke. He's capable of moments of magic. But who matches who matches up with him? After yesterday, you'd be kind of saying, look, send out someone that'll just go and shut him down. Um, and I think I think that could be uh, Mikey for that job. And maybe go two physical players there in in, in Hugh Lawler and Seamus Flanagan against each other in, in, in at full forward. And what was actually interesting, I was looking at the way they lined up. Gillan stayed right in with Garod McInerney in the six-yard box. Flanagan was with, who did I have him with? Flanagan was with Grealish. 
yeah. on, literally on the 14. And then Casey was out with, with, with Darren Morrissey and it was like he was going in a, a kind of a Y. He was going left to right. So it was just it was just so structured the way Limerick had it. Um, so if you're thinking that there's players going from there, Tommy Walsh is a great burst of pace as well. So I think he might go with Casey there. Hmm. Where would you deploy him, Skell, if you uh, got the Kilkenny job at some point? Yeah, I... <laughs> Imagine a world without the Kenny job. It's like when you when you leave football manager in autoplay, and then you're like James Scal is the new manager at Kilkenny. Yeah, and I, I know who my right hand man would be. Yeah, we look at him. Pretty much. Because I really, really, really want him to be my coach. Yeah, um, it'll be a good choice. You'd have Tommy there for the entertainment alone. Yeah. Um, I suppose we, we, as more for speaking there, I was like, who who do I feel is most applicable? I agreed, uh, Tommy Walsh. Uh, no, I, I I would put Hugh Lawler on Glenn because when I saw the way the ball was played yesterday, like Glenn is his movement is excellent, right? And you need you need ferocious pace and, and power to go at him. So I'd be putting Lawler on Glenn and saying, right, just just, just mark him toe to toe because I just I just think they trade off fierce well physically. And then there's a threat there. We saw it yesterday with the high ball. Like if he's catching ball over Dahi Burke, he catches ball over anybody. To be honest, yeah. Uh, Mikey Butler. Then I think Seamus Flanagan is more of a. He's a kind of a straight line curve runner, if that makes sense. Like he'll come out to the ball. You know, I think Mikey Butler can challenge him on contest. So I'd probably do a switcheroo there, Murph. I'd probably switch around, but again, if you know yep. more about your guys than nice I do. Um, but I, know I suppose the bigger thing for me is in the centre. Um, yeah. That's why I said different game. I said different game about Mikey Butler and Tony Kelly. That was a legs v legs kind of match, whereby mm. with more athleticism. But in the middle for Limerick, it's a big, big power game. Do you know what I mean? And like there was damage done last year, to be honest, on the, on the Kilkenny half back line when you consider what, what Hegarty did and Morrissey did. So I think, from, I won't say it's the focus, but it's certainly an area that Kenny have to hone in on and say, right, we need to notify the Limerick half forward line because that was a huge platform, platform for them last year. And if they can get a stronghold in that, and they, I think they have the players to do it, to be honest. Like, I really mm. do. I, I was very impressed with David Blanchfield. He's extremely physical on contact. And I think he's deadly on the ball. It looks like, I know I'm going to have kilter a bit here, but I just have to compliment the way he tackles. When the ball is going on the contest, he gets the ball out around you. But it looks like he's fouling you to a degree. And I know some of the Clare folk will say he was pushing, but he wasn't. He was ball first and then contact second. You know what I mean? So like yeah. he's, mm-hmm. he's kind of like an ideal person to have in a half-back line whereby it's so intense. Um, but like, again, it's, it's a question of matchups. Like you have got to get all your matchups right against Limerick. Truthfully speaking, yeah. you've got to get all 6v6 have to be spot on. And, if, if, and like you, you might find a situation where Michael Butler could be playing, there's no joke, like he could be playing six at some stage. He could be playing seven, just the way Limerick have the, the, the ability to interchange. And he could be up in the forwards because like so Hegarty might go back or these people and you wouldn't know where he'd find him. So there's a lot of um, strings to, to Limerick's bow. But I think Kikini would have learned a lot from last year. And again, they were so impressive today. And I just can't get over it. The one word I actually wrote in my notes about Kikini today was just, it was efficiency. That was it. They just, when they got opportunities, they took them. That was it. Yeah. And like the first wide was the 28 minutes, which I was really happy with. Like just going like the first wide was on Cody's one. And I was like 28 minutes in, just like, you know, you're happy as a baseline that that's where you're kicking off your wides, you know, and you wouldn't expect your team to go out every day and do that, you know. No. Was it five wides, Mark? Am I wrong there now? Uh, I had him down for, I had him, oh, wait, no. I had him down for, I had him down for five, actually. No, that's whether if I had it right or not, but I, yeah. Yeah, because I had a TJ long range three wide. I had an own Cody mm. one, he'd be disappointed with, to be fair. Mm. I had a Mossy one off the left hand side under the Hogan in the first half. Uh, and then the rest were kind of the repeater shots. So like five wides, that's, I think is awesome. I had mm. one, uh, two balls dropped dropped into Quilligan and three balls I can remember. So like when you consider you've only eight opportunities lost throughout the whole course of the game, that is fucking awesome. 
That's great, Jen. That's awesome. I have to say, like, I think Claire, Claire between opportunities, I counted, counted uh, six and 10, 16, you know, which is a lot of opportunities lost in a, in a two or three point game. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hill Shamrocks, if you want to put it that way, with TJ, Owen Cody, Adrian Mullen account for one goal in 19 between the three of them today so they did serious damage uh, during the game uh, we might get on to TJ and even on to own Cody because people are asking how will Limerick deal with Cody going into the final because he was red hot this afternoon before that there's a thousand people watching us right now so it would be stupid of me not to use this as an opportunity to talk about the road show I stuck the link for the tickets into the live chat on my phone just a couple moments ago uh, but we are going to the Borgos Theatre on July 20th we're going to be announcing some more special guests Joe Canning is already uh, confirmed uh, really special guest to have on the night uh, we're probably going to pivot and maybe get some more Kilkenny legends now at this point uh, given that Kilkenny have got to the final against Limerick but uh, we're going to have a fantastic lineup on the night most importantly uh, tickets are going to support the Dylan Quirk Foundation and Focus Ireland Borgosh Energy it is the best possible venue we could have got for that night it is the Thursday just before the All-Ireland Final so it's a perfect night to pop along um, it's going to be just like the live right now except for you can ask us questions in person from the uh, from the stalls on the night uh, tickets are available now the Ticketmaster link is there we're not taking a penny from any of this all the money is going towards the Dylan Quirk Foundation and Focus Ireland we just want to have a really good night and hopefully a lot of people who've been joining in because it's funny how the same people uh, turn up in the chat uh, most weeks when we go live so hopefully uh, we can put some faces to some of the people who've been leaving us comments over the last 16 or 17 weeks so that's there if you want to pick up uh, tickets in advance buy now buy early buy often if you want to come along um, but let's get around to Owen Cody then Murph because today he was incredible and very very difficult to stop a few people asking in the chat will Limerick man mark him in the final I get the feeling Limerick defend with a system as opposed to a man marker yeah, exactly. And uh, I, I saw a few people kind of getting um, upset that people were saying that, oh, Limerick have a system as if it's kind of... Uh, I actually don't even know what they're getting upset about when we're speaking about Limerick's system. But it is. It's something that they believe in. And it's a case that it doesn't matter where necessarily individual players go or man mark. It's a matter of that if we're all doing our job, well, the system inevitably will work. And it did yesterday and we could see how it worked. I don't think they they put, you know too much emphasis on the threat of another player in by man-marking him and taking out another player. I look at that Limerick full back line and say any four of those players are capable of going out and doing a top-class job on own Cody. And what I say in the top-class job is as good as anybody could possibly do marking him, any of those three backs. Like if you look at who they could possibly have, Mike Casey, Dan Morrissey and Barry Nash. Like Mike Casey, top-class. Like I mean, you know, outstanding last year in the All-Ireland Final. Barry Nash, a nomination for Hurler of the Year last year. Dan Morrissey was sensational yesterday and like does not get half the plaudits of anyone. Like he's outstanding. To think that any of those lads can't go toe to toe at least with Owen Cody is a ridiculous statement right out of the right out the gate. So I don't think they have to go and say, listen, actually, we have one particular player we need to go with Owen Cody. They may very well do it just for a small bit more like for like in matching it up. But that wouldn't be an air of concern from Limerick. Limerick fully believe that they have not just a few players there, but a few more players further outfield that could actually do a bit of a job on Cody. So I know Cody will know that. You know, TJ will know that, Adrian Mullen, whoever. They know that if they're not at the absolute peak of their game, they could get marked out of the game by an absolutely outstanding Limerick player. So um, I think it's a challenge that the likes of Owen would relish because he seems to flourish in these big games. So it's... Um, Look, it's it's one of these debates. I'm sure it's going to be widespread coming into the final. People will ask who's going to mark him. And only until the ball is thrown in all-earned final day 
um, will we find out? But I just think that Limerick have such belief in the players they have. I don't think they'll be too worried about who ends up on own Cody for different per- periods of the game. Hmm. Uh, not to get off topic, but Jennifer O'Sullivan, uh, will watching the show from California, will it be possible to watch the show online? Also, do you have a live link for the, to the Dylan Quirk Foundation? I will stick up a link in the comments underneath this because I'm logged in as my own account as opposed to off the ball on the YouTube at the moment. So I will put a link for both Focus Ireland and the Dylan Quirk Foundation for anyone who just wants to make a donation as opposed to being able to make it there in the night. Uh, will it be possible to watch the show online? I think it'll be possible to watch most of it. Um, when we did it last year, uh, some of it had to get past the sponsors, before we put it up online we lost a load of scale stories unfortunately <laughs> most of them were about him being pissed or using really bad language and I sat there for quite some time going ah go on can we leave the Lucknan stories in there and they were like no he's admitting that he was pissed the night before training this is not the image we want to get across <laughs> so I can't guarantee that everything will make it in but for both audio pod version and also for the YouTube I will try and save as much as I possibly can. Uh, but that might be a decision slightly above me. Um, and I say we will be announcing probably the next couple of days uh, a series of uh, guests who will be coming along on the night as well. So hopefully, if you guys are around on that Thursday, you can uh, make it along and actually see it. And I see a lot of people in the comments are making the point they're from Limerick and it's been the ass having to go across to Dublin. Look, hopefully you can make it. I appreciate it's difficult to uh, maybe get into the city on a Thursday, but hopefully people will uh, will come along for that one. I'm also mindful the Sunday game is going to start in about 20 minutes. So uh, let's move around the conversation a little bit. Uh, there was an interesting one that came in here uh, a little bit earlier as well about poke outs, um, which is here somewhere towards the top, because I had actually saved this from the very, very start. Here we go. Uh, this comment coming in from Ender Burke. Can James and Murph uh, share some insight into training and preparation for puck outs? How do you decide when to go short or long? How do you deal with being under pressure on your own puck outs? Obviously, this came up on the back of Kenny's second goal, I would think, this afternoon. Um, we have a cornerback and a goalkeeper, so two good guys to actually talk about this. Scale, if you want to get the ball rolling, what kind of work or training or preparation goes into puck out and when do you know when to switch it around? Yeah, so obviously you go back years ago, the puck out was just hit as long as you can and, and make it a conscious. That was it. And as, as kind of Kikini were in their pomp, the game developed a bit and it became a short game. So we know where it derived from. A puck out is a team, uh, a team situation. It's not a goalkeeper situation. And I will say I was very disappointed to see a shade thrown out of Ian Murphy yesterday when I can tell you here and now, right, it was not his fault. Like that, that it was not his fault. There were situations whereby he had no options whatsoever. If you look out as a goalkeeper, and I, I tell you, hand in heart, I've played Limerick and you're looking out and you see a green wall and you see static players. That's a frightening place to be because then you have no option but just mm. to pump it down. To pump it down. And like what I see, um, when Limerick, <clears throat> when Galway hit a short book out, Limerick do what I call a collective press. So they, they don't just go let one man tackle and then a pass, the next man tackle. It's everyone press uh, man to man, right? So so that that makes the short ball exit very, very difficult. When Limerick did a short ball uh, up their side, we didn't do a collective press. We did one man, next thing a pass pops over him onto the next lad and, and, and they build out. So for when you're doing short workouts, you have to be able to take the collective press and work around it. If you look at like soccer, like they'll often take the press and then work around you in triangles, you know what I mean? But the teams like Limerick are so good at pressing you that you know your long, your long option is taken away from you because it's their half-back line being so big and dominant and their, their short option is taken away from you because their forwards work so hard. So Limerick obviously work defensively, collectively. So if you're going to beat them, you have to be offensively, work collectively. But again, it's just so hard that's because they have it to a level right now that is that is so high. And to answer your man's question, when you know I take everything, threes will, right? So if I'm in the goals and I hit, let's say, 
three longs and if they come back to me quite as, as fast I need to short it up I need to play kind of the, I, I call it the accordion game sometimes short it up lint it out and play with the team a small bit more often than not I find teams sit back a good bit because the puck out is long so that mm. means you have to go short and like if you're in a club game like teams will invite me to go short because they think right that this will break down you know what I mean so it's just it's 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 an in-game decision. It's not pre-planned. You, you don't say right. I'm going short now. You know it's pre-planned off, off off reaction. So like, if I'm looking out now and the longs aren't working, and next thing Murph is my cornerback and he doesn't want the ball, that's a tricky place to be. You know what I mean? You you need like some Murph in your backs to physically give me the ball, give me the ball. And like if I see Limerick and I look at their backs, everyone everyone wants the ball. They all have their hands up saying, "Yeah, give it to me. I'll take it and we move forward." And that's where like. You know, that's where I suppose teams, they just, you know, how to put this? There's four phases. Our puck out, their puck out when they have the ball and we have the ball. And Limerick are excellent on three of them. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? They're absolutely, they're the best in the country on three of them. They're the best on your puck out and the best on their own. And when they have the ball, they're absolutely awesome. So yeah. they're top proposition. But I know I went off kind of skewed a bit there, but I hope I give a roundabout version explanation as to the puck outside. No, no, I think it's a good point, Skell, before we bring Murphy in on this. Like, I noticed even, like, watching the telly last night that there was times when even Dan Morrissey had no problem fizzing the ball out to either of the two cornerbacks at times. Yeah. Um, I think he obviously trusts the players around him. And even that's at a point where, you know, Will O'Donnell, who's getting dragged into unusual positions in number six, but yet he had no problem playing a hand pass, playing Kyle Hayes sometimes into a position maybe where there's a few players around him. And Limerick will trust their ball skills to get back out again. Yeah, see the words used there will is trust. Um and so like if you're if you're if you're adopting a short ball game, yeah, there's two things that have to happen. Number one, you need to trust the man to give the ball to your hand. That's number one. And you you give him an option. And then number two is if you're if you're if you're delivering the ball, you need to trust the man to catch it. You know, so like if if, if, there's, if there's any doubt in between there, this doesn't this doesn't work. So when you look at Limerick, they have no problem. My case is no problem delivering the ball, yeah, thirty yards into Kyle Hayes or thirty yards over Jim Burns. And more often than not, the ball is delivered to hand and it sticks. And so if you have a, a, a team, a set of backs that can that can deliver high-quality ball in an intense environment in kind of a compacted space and no errors, that's fucking unreal. That's unreal. Like, we, we tried it yesterday. In, in truth, we tried it. The only one that wasn't in favour is what we call the give and go, where it's given to, to Mac, in and takes it and lumps it again. There's no real benefit of that because all that does is allow Limerick to, to kind of drop off another bit. You'd like to see a kind of a shorter pass, but... Look, as Limerick shut down our puck out, they gave us a couple of short ones yesterday, but in the second phase, it didn't work. It didn't work. So, like, if you see ball goes down Morrissey, he gives to Donovan, then the next phase works, and, and Limerick are out. They've exited, whereas we did, we just didn't do that. And, like, Kikini, they adopted a very, I find in their short puck out, they adopted a very plain style. So, they'll give it to the, the, the wing-back cornerback, and they'll deliver it into a zone whereby own Cody or Massey Cohen and Bill Ryan can contest and they can fucking win it that's a huge thing they clear the zone of where all the bodies are so it, against Limerick I, I, I think what will happen is Limerick will press up on the Kikini puck out uh, to a certain degree and say yeah hit it down top long, long of us and we'll, we'll, uh, we'll try to eat you <laughs> do you know what I mean I'd say now at this stage Mother Scale Square Jar is full at this stage there's a period <laughs> earlier the scenes. where I was like I'm going to tone it down Jeez, I don't want her giving out to me and next thing last few weeks there's been F-bombs every second word so there you go yeah that's uh, because I've been under pressure like, I've, I've been attacked do you know what I mean so 
the, the Tipperary people, if you thought you didn't break him, this is proof you actually broke him a couple of weeks ago. Uh, James Coughlin, if Willow Callan sings Friends in Low Places, we'll all come. Uh, yeah, no, not singing it. Um, we'd love to see you on the is mic, it, but is, I'm it, not. is that a party piece, Will? Or where is that uh, coming it's, from? It's surely not. It's because people point out that uh, Culchies will happily uh, go into the city for Garth Brooks if they can ah, do that. Okay. Night. I thought it was a sneaky party piece there. Uh, no, right, you, right, won't right. Be, you won't be hearing a Garth Brooks from me. Uh, crack of the Ash as well. Can we point out that Will's prediction for the Limerick match was only off by a couple of points? Yeah, I was kind of hoping that Galway would get a few frees towards the end of the game or the Limerick would retreat back. I think I predicted Limerick by six and it ended up being Limerick by nine, but sure. Here we go. Um, Murph, you're in a position then as a cornerback and you're talking about the puckouts here. Give us your perspective on at what point you know it's time to go. Do you know what? Owen Murphy or David Herity or any of the goalkeepers you played under turf it further forward or at what point do you need to go as a split back and give them an option? Um, well, my thing was always that you had to always give them an option anyway. Like at that stage, many of the teams were transitioning to the short game, and like people were crying out from the stands to say, "There's no place for this short game. Puck the ball long." Whereas now everybody knows the importance of it, and you have to do it. Our thing was always that you had to give them the option. Give them the option. It's not that he necessarily wants to give it to you. But if the half forward line, for example, are being smothered by the half back line down the far end and uh, the midfield, in order to buy them a bit of space and let the full forward line step up on you, the half forward line step up on the half backs, the threat has to be there that the goalkeeper is going to give you the ball. And different teams do do it in different ways. We used to play very much, you know, um, the cornerbacks hit the sideline where the 21 meets the sideline, you stand there, fullback stands slightly to the right, centre-back stands slightly to the left, so there's two options as well. But if you look at Limerick, Limerick nearly play four lads in the full-back line at that stage. They just go right forward because what they say is that if we're going to play it short, we're going to play it very short, right to those. They have that trust, they have this the belief that they're going to control it and then they just have good decision-making whereby they'll never get themselves caught. Let's say like, um, was it Adam Hogan was caught or was it Rory Hayes? Rory Hayes was caught for Clare mm-hmm. today. They'll never put themselves in a position where they're caught like that. They'll just get the ball, look up, and if it's Dan Morrissey, he'll say, I'll pop this to Barry Nash because Barry Nash is actually facing up the field. I have my back to up the field, pop it off. But now I'm going to move for Barry Nash so he doesn't end up in the cul-de-sac. And that's what they do. And if they're going long, they'll go long to a half-hour line area where you have all your forwards pretty much in a straight line towards the goal and they're breaking off right and left. And that's what I saw. It was actually very interesting looking at it yesterday the contrast of Galway and Limerick puckouts in that Galway seemed to go one side of the pitch let's say five of the forwards and then you had one Galway forward went to the other side of the pitch and it was an option worked really well but I noticed when it started to break down the problem with that is that when you overload one side of the pitch with Limerick if you don't win the ball when it breaks Limerick will recycle it out to the far side where you now have no players and they have Kyle A's standing there going give me the ball and when you're tired it's very hard to keep that up and suddenly now, we talk about the Limerick system, Limerick have that ball, they don't go forward with it, they go back and out laterally and get it out to the far side of the pitch. And they know, they know there's players out there. So for our puckouts, and I remember just going back to what the question was in the first place, we used to do a thing of, we take puckouts from either end. So let's say we're about to go into a game, we say, Brian and just go, lads, we're going to take six puckouts from either end. And the reason that I was good to focus was, if, they went, if we went short, the backs had to work it out past the 65. And Brian would just blow the whistle then and say, fine. Or if you go long... Um, and whoever wins the ball, so let's say your forwards go and win it or your backs go and win it, he'd blow it up and say, right, that's that done. And the reason for that was to keep the integrity of the drill because if you know we're going to go short, players will do what they don't do in the game and they'll push right up and cover them because you know we're all going short here. So to keep the integrity of trying to keep it game-based, 
you have to go long and short in that. But we used to just do that. And if it wasn't good enough, Brian would blow the whistle, bring us all in and say, lads, that's not good enough. And really focus your mind for the importance of the puck out, and which was very important then when we started matches, big important matches. You kind of had this in your head because we would have done it maybe on the Wednesday night before a Sunday match that here's a puck out and it's, it's muscle memory. It's, okay, we're hitting the sidelines, Owen Murphy's going long, we're giving options and that's, that was our, our style, but most teams had different styles. Okay, uh, this one I had stacked up in the start from earlier on because a lot of people were talking about Tony Kelly after the game, one point from play uh, during the match. Were a lot of opinions on Tony being considered the best player in the country by some to scoring heavily in the group warrant greatness when you go missing in Croker when it really counts. So, Scal, first of all, d- did he go missing today? Again, I think that's unfair. You know, I, 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 it was a bit like I saw comments yesterday about Conor Whelan being in someone's pocket. Conor Whelan was in nobody's pocket yesterday just to get the supply. When he got the supply, he was awesome. And I think in today's game with Tony Kelly, if if breaks go a different way, you know what I mean? He could have a bigger influence. But like, we don't give enough credit to the likes of Mikey Butler. Oh, fuck, I better mark it on myself. <clears throat> no, hey, take yeah. one off me, actually. Take one off me. Yeah, now you're on 30, okay? Because <laughs> um, I did say here last week that like the Mikey has the has has the easier job with respect. I mean, what I mean by that is like he just has to spoil Tony, whereas Tony has to get the ball, go for score, etc. Link. So it's it's a tough proposition for anyone to kind of carry a team. But um, I think it's unfair. Yes, you can look at him and say you know he hasn't I suppose provided the goods to a certain degree in Cork Park in the last couple of years. He's been awesome in some of the in some of the uh, the, the the group stage games, but. Um, is he the top best player in the country? He's top three for me, 100%, but I don't think he's the best right now. Straight up. Um, and again, it's no disrespect. It's just, I just think there's people, there's just two other guys for me ahead of him, if you ask me, at the moment. I'm not going to name them. Murph? <laughs> yeah, at least that's um, next week. We can uh, break this up. Your take on Tony Kelly too? Uh, yeah, look, it's, it's it's very unfair to him to say he's going hiding. I think top players obviously put themselves out there for a bit more um, criticism in these games. And because they set such high standards for themselves, um, like there's other players in the game that held the ball less than Tony Kelly, but they won't come in for the same criticism because before the game starts, we had Tony Kelly held at a higher bar, as we do with Shane O'Donnell, as we do with TJ Reid and Owen Cody. We just hold them at a higher standard. And when they don't reach our perceived standards, we sometimes come down hard on them. If, I, if you told me now I have to pick 15 players I, was, I have an imaginary team for January 1st next year and I'm going to train them and I pick 15 of them. Tony Kelly is in the six forwards. That's just the nature of it. Um, I think it's very unfair to be hard on them that way. Players have good and bad games. And the idea that any one player goes out and never has a bad game is, is ridiculous. So look, at, he, he was involved today. He was more involved than he was last year. And it's not a case of, you know, the big day getting to him. We've seen him monster finals with Turles heaving with people cutting a sideline over a bar, you know, in the last minute of the game. I mean, it's just the idea that any of us could question Tony Kelly on that, I, I think is, is, is ridiculous, to be honest. Um, Scal, maybe you can take this one, TJ Mills. Will the hype of a four in a row affect Limerick, similar to the drive for five with Kilkenny in 2010? Kilkenny, great team to end dreams, just ask Cork. Um, I don't know. I mean, we've obviously spoken about the way this Limerick team motivates itself and Daryl Donovan saying, hey, we were written off about getting to the Munster final after they'd won uh, the Munster this year. Do you think this will affect Limerick or Limerick the type of team who are affected by being on the brink of their own piece of history? Like from a personal level, I truthfully can't answer that question. I've never been in their situation. Uh, I can only kind of look at it from, from the outside looking in. And they just come across as a quite a professional team who go about their business um, and mix that with a very, very professional management team who seem to have, you know, all the right things to say. To be truthfully honest, like when I looked at um, 
at uh, John Kyrie's interview yesterday, he said the right things. He said the right things if I was a player listening to him. Um, and this, this, it kind of, it, it looks like the same message comes out of Limerick, if you know what I mean. Every interview I've seen um, from Galan, from Burns this year, Burns did a great interview a couple of, a few weeks back, um, from O'Donovan, Kylie, all these lads, they all seem to kind of portray the same image or the same message. And it looks like it's just kind of us versus everybody else. And that's a great mentality to have, I think, if you're heading for... For, for big honours. So, like, four in a row is a huge honour. Um, I never had the honour of going for that honour, if you like. Uh, Murphy would be in a better position than I am. But the thing about it is, I, I imagine it comes with challenges. I'd imagine that probably the management team have have a challenge with regards to complacency, with regards to supporters, with regards to overhype, with regards to, you know what I mean, uh, excessive praise. You name it, whether it be from the locals or from the media. I'd imagine those teams have all the challenges, challenges that we never actually faced as players. <clears throat> but... It looks it just it looks to me that the group as a whole, management and players collective, seem to have the right mindset to, to take on the challenge. Hmm. Um, what do you think, Murph? Is it going to be a concern for them? I don't think so, no. Um, I, I think like the, these this Limer team is probably the, the, the team that's at the forefront of using psychology as one of their tools in their armour. Um, I just don't think it comes inside the front door of the dressing room. Um they're very aware of it and look not to say that they look to other teams for any example they set their own examples and they learn from their own lessons but I think certainly Kylie would probably probably have looked at Kilkenny in 2010 to say is there anything we can take from that because at the end of the day we want to win and what harm if you look at other teams or other sports to try and learn a few lessons and maybe he would have looked at 2010 with Kilkenny and his interpretation of it could be that maybe there was too much uh, influence from the outside. Maybe people, you know, people were influencing the dressing room and getting in lads' ears. So maybe you have to talk to the lads and say to them, listen, lads, we're going out to win one All-Ireland here. It's not about the four in a row. This is about us going winning the next All-Ireland that's in front of us. So to be honest, I think this Limerick team of any team is in a good position um, mentally to deal with the outside world. And I don't, I don't believe it'll come inside the dressing room doors. From, from anything I've seen from Limerick players giving interviews, it doesn't really enter the conversation. Yeah. So I think they're well prepared. Mm. Well, quick fire uh, through some more. Uh, TJ Reid, by the way, is now seven clear of Patrick Horgan at the top of the scoring charts of all time. So he finishes 2023, come what may, at the top of that list. Uh, so they've been sharing the lead recently. Uh, on that point, Colm Cronin, if TJ wins the final, is he Kilkenny's second greatest after King Henry? Paul Murphy, Murph. you played the both of them? I'll put it this way, like as in, I, I'm finding it very hard to pick between the two of them now at the moment. Like Henry was always my hero growing up, but... Um, so hold on, are you talking about not even just been second best? You're saying TJ could potentially become Kilkenny's greatest of all time. I was, I was chatting to Neil McManus today and he said, TJ Reid is the best hurler I've ever seen and he is the best hurler. So there's people out there, if you ask them, TJ Reid is the best hurler. Who am I to decide in that? Like Henry was just... I'll always have Henry in a very special place. And I think the biggest compliment I could ever play, pay to, to TJ is saying that he's making life very hard on me to, to keep that up. Um, like TJ is the most talented, most, like, most talented player of my generation, absolutely. And, and, and James, I've heard you say about, um, first time I've probably ever called you James, I've heard you speak about <laughs> uh, Joe. Like, you know, you speak about Joe because you've seen him in training for so long. You've grown up with him and you believe that he was better than TJ. I believe, I'm really even right in saying that, that you have said yeah. that. Like, I just think that it's splitting hairs with these lads that you could, we could sit here all night and argue and we'd never come to the answer on it. But I, the best I could give you is TJ and Henry are right on the parody, as far as I'm concerned. I will probably just about go with Henry. Uh, 
And again, going with Henry because when I was 10 years old and I could pick the colour of my helmet, I picked green because Henry Shefflin wore it. But, you know, talk to me after the All-Ireland final and it's at the stage where I could go, I think actually TJ could be the best ever. Like, in fairness to TJ, 35 years of age, about to turn 36. And was he lost there today? Absolutely not. Cutting sidelines over, the skill of him, he was such a distraction. Um, And like, the one thing as well you have to say about him is, how many teams did we speak about earlier in the championship are craving to have this machine-like free taker. Now, TJ hit one wide today from his own 45 almost, but he's just robotic. And there were stages there, Clare fans were breathing down his neck. There was one over near the 21 on the sideline. I think it was Richie Hogan when he was fouled. And the Clare fans were were balling at him and he stuck it over the bar as if there was nobody in the stadium. So, look at um, It's a tough call. It's a tough call between Henry and TJ. Um and I think you'll find a lot of people that will say that that TJ has sur- maybe surpassed Henry at this stage. Hmm. The especially achievement, I think, to win with Kilkenny have having had such a gap as well, Murph. If he was the guy to bring them to glory this year and to end what feels like almost a famine for Kilkenny as well. Like in a way, that's a special achievement, and that's not to downplay Henry's achievement in any way. But like Henry's greatness coincided with a great Kilkenny team. Well, if TJ was to get a title with this team that's been rebuilt and now Cody's been gone and Derek Ling has come in, that adds a little bit of extra spice to the achievement for him too. Well, it absolutely does. And like greatness is not just counted by you know the amount of points you've scored or medals you have or hurlers the year you have. They're obviously a great marker, but you know different players have different stories that show why they're great players. And Again, I go back to it. TJ being a fulcrum of that team at 35 years of age, uh, you know, turning 36 this year, is a crazy stat. And, like, you're nearly looking at him going, at what stage does he stop? Because, okay, people might say he has a half a yard of pace less than he maybe had five years ago. That's about the most you could say about him. But other than that, he's absolutely flying it. Um, But I agree with you, Will. Like, this achievement for if Kilkenny go and win this All-Ireland... For TJ being part of that, TJ reached, he will be reaching his eighth All-Ireland um, medal if he wins it. Obviously, Henry has 10. But the, the tale, it, it, it's a tale of two stories there, really, in that they went about it two different ways. And like realistically, if TJ was the same age as you know JJ and Henry and these lads, he probably would have the 9 and 10 at this stage anyway. So his own story would be really incredible if he goes on, wins this All-Ireland, having had such a drought, even still, like he hasn't won one since 2015, he's still a seven, you know. So it's it's a remarkable achievement for TJ. Mm-hmm. As an observation order and a question coming in from Conor O'Brien in the four finals Limerick have played since 2018 they've only been behind for one minute in total the 18th to 19th minute against Galway in 2018 just before the Mulcahy goal and it's That's 16 unfair. finals 16 <coughs> wins under Kylie. That's it's a beyond <laughs> intimidating record that they have um, Jennifer asking one that you can take your scowl will Henry or Lohan stay on or will they both stay on? Um, I think probably within the respective counties there's probably a uh, uh, definitely the feeling I, I'd get from supporters that they'd like both both stay on I think Lohan when he picked up the Clare job I think Clare as a whole I mean as a county Hurling County were probably in a, in a pretty bad place to be honest there was a lot of negative uh, stories leaking into the media about the situation at board level at juvenile level at facility facilities and that seems to have all well, it hasn't seemed it has all gone away and they've turned the tide into a very very uh, in a positive manner so I'd say there's probably a call for him to stay uh, in Henry's case like it's it's like I don't discount how difficult it must be for Henry and Richard Neal to travel from Kenny up to Galway three four times a week, because um, that's that's a grueling distance as well, boys. That's that's a, that's a hard position to fill. Like if 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 
if Henry was in, I don't know, Wexford, right? It's an easier position to fill because solely because geographically there's not as much challenges. But Henry up here, there would, I think there is a call for him to stay. I think he's done well um, to a degree. Obviously, he's probably learned things. We've all learned things as well. But I would, I would, I would hope from my perspective that he does stay uh, and that he gives another go. Um, because I think, obviously, the more information you get out of that man, the more you know, nuggets to get out of him, like I think it's, it's, it's good for Galway. Because ultimately, at the end of the day, if he goes, I don't have an immediate answer who can replace him. Straight, mm. truthfully speaking I don't have an answer the person I think who could replace him is already occupied you know who I'm talking about well go on which way are you leaning then because I, I love when someone alludes to something and then goes do you know who I'm alluding to I'm not going to say <laughs> it but I'll say it now well, he's, so, he's up the east side he's up the east side um, Michal back in yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. that's what I think could happen I think that'll happen in time interesting I think he'll do a sheedy and come back in again and give another crack will he win a second All-Ireland though that's a fucking hard question to answer, my friend. <laughs> well, look, you're you're managing the Galway Miners and, uh, you know, got to have a fair idea who might be around in a, a few years' time if he's still there. Yeah. But, mm, mm. Yes, okay, I'll say yes for the crack. Yeah. yeah <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, River Power as well. Tip lads can't leave Scale alone. Twitter's been a, a nightmare all weekend with tip lads gone. Ah, you're so smug now that you've been knocked out around after we were knocked <laughs> out. Um, River Power, who is a Tipperary supporter, I believe. I'll tell you one thing I know for sure Scale won't be managing Galway next year. He said himself he won't be managing them next year. Well, good man, Mr. Power. Did you work out that all by yourself? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Uh, Will Norris as well. A word for Richie Hogan, too. Great to see him play today. I have to defer to you, Murph, on this one when it comes to Richie Hogan. But Tommy Welsh did say about an hour and a half ago, and you can, after you watch, us watch Tommy's uh, summation of the game from today. He compared him to Iniesta with the way that he came onto the pitch today. Yeah, sure. Look, Richie just has this great balance about him, and uh, like even the way he manufactured a free, like that was not to say important for Kilkenny, but it was just very clever. He knew he wasn't getting away from the clear defenders. Um, he first of all, how he broke the ball, it was almost reminiscent of, of Galway a few years ago how he just broke it down for himself but then realised he was about to be closed down you know ended up trying to find himself getting out of trouble um, and instead held on to the ball and just drew the free um, you know it did have the impact that I suppose you were looking for someone off the bench and in fairness you'd have to say like even Keane Kenny a lot of lads who came off the bench had an impact but look it was brilliant for Richie um, he's Lord knows never mind any other year he's had serious injuries this year couldn't seem to get a break. And, you know, when he broke his wrist in the league semi-final, they were kind of thinking that could be his year because he might be out of out of action in training to get himself back into the team. Four weeks later, he's back on the pitch, which is remarkable stuff. Um, and since then, he's tweaked a bit of a hammer. He's had a bit of a back problem and he's come back and by all accounts, flying it in training. So, um, delighted to see him come on again today I think he really deserves it and yeah look fair play to him like full credit for coming on and having an influence hmm. yeah yeah no, look, I think he'd still play a role I think that experience is important to be Agreed. able to come Agreed. off the bench when it comes to the final as well um, so there you go River Power saying I love you Scal uh, within the comments it's a Jeez, very good that point that went 180 very quickly didn't it it has you know, the hand of friendship <laughs> the hand of friendship has come across the border across the Shannon here between the two of them um, <laughs> I know exactly what Murph is probably going to say and we'll do the master preview next week but at this point, Scale, having watched both games this weekend, do you give Kilkenny a hope against Limerick in two weeks' time? Of course I do. Jeez, yeah. <clears throat> um, I asked I that provocatively to get a reaction from you, so go on. Yeah, I'm getting tense. He's not, he's, he's not wise to these things at all, Will, I guess. <laughs> I, know, I am. I'm just I'm, I'm being forewarned by, by family members. He's facilitating us, Scale. You understand that? <laughs> <laughs> 
No, because even my even even Grace says to me, I, I'll answer your question in a moment. Well, even Grace says, now come here, you need to be careful on the live pod because you can't edit the live pod, right? <laughs> <laughs> but be careful on the live ones, right? And the, I the barely one, made an edit all year, but go on. Edit, yeah. Um they do see what holds me back in touch is when I can picture Limerick at their absolute pump. Like when they hit top gear, full flight, and like when you consider like the Munster final of what was the year was a twenty twenty one against Tip second half. You consider the Ireland final against Cork in twenty one was it? Um, like you're talking about awesome displays, and like that's what that's 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 still possible for Limerick. They they produced probably fourth gear yesterday for probably a third of the game, and they just the, the blue Galway away. So if they hit top gear, and it's a big if to be honest, because they haven't hit it this year. This they haven't hit it yet this this year, but it seems like they're they're slowly inching towards that. And that kind of skews my thinking a small bit. But like again, Kikini, Kikini, I've said this numerous times in this podcast. Until until they're at home in bed, you haven't got them bet. It's as simple as that. So like they're just it's I don't know the geographical dem- demographic, whatever it is down there, right? They're not bet. And that's rule number one when you're playing Limerick. You have to match the fight. You have to. It's just you just have to match the fight in every in every facet of the game. And that's what Kikini people do. Sorry, Kikini, the Kikini team will do. So I, I do give them a hope. Hundred percent, I do. Um, but I'm still swaying, swaying towards Limerick just because, against evidence-based, they deserve they deserve to be given the the favourites tag when you look at twelve out of twelve in the finals. And I can't take away from the fact of what they produced in the league final only a few months ago, like against the same opposition. I know different time, different conditions, different stadium. Say what you like, but ultimately that that's what they're capable of produced against this against this opposition. So I'm I'm, I'm going towards Limerick only because what they've produced to date deserves that. Okay, everyone asks about this, so why not ask you before we go? <coughs> Richard Carl, hurler of the year, lads, call it. I think it's going to be Aaron Galan. Murph? At the moment, I think it's Aaron Galan, closely followed by Owen Cody, and unfortunately, Shane O'Donnell, I think, just gone. Um, I, But I think Owen Cody at the moment has been so consistent, but Galan is out in front, and I was very surprised to see Galan didn't get man the match yesterday. Awesome. He got man of the match on the BBC. Your uh, new buddies oh, did give him man of the match. Because it was weird. I saw a picture of him with man of the match yeah. and I saw one of O'Donovan with as well. So O'Donovan yeah. got the RT man of the match and BBC gave it to Galan. That was it because I was looking down. I was looking down from the top of the stand with Ashing O'Reilly there in case I haven't mentioned that. Oh, so I was there, yeah. there with Ash, were you? No. Oh, so I was looking across and I, I was there going, surely Galan is getting this. And I just saw Daryl Donovan going across. Daryl Donovan was excellent. But I just felt like the influence he had on the game. Um, what was it? 2 six he scored? Like, I mean, and, and really important goals. Uh, but he put himself to the forefront yesterday. So Galan is out in front. But we all know that big finals can dictate these things. So if Owen Cody goes out and has a great game, um, you know, that could just sway it back in his favour. And a final one for you, Murph, because we get to talk about everything around this game. I want to give a defender a little bit of credit here. Forty's hook slash block. Mm, brilliant. Oh. I was unbelievable. Yeah. And like those are the things that you know the mindset is right that lads are lads are fighting here when something like that happens like when you go back to JJ's hook back in 2014 like obviously brilliant hook but the thing people often forget about there is Parik Welch was also tracking back and when the ball broke the second time for Callan to pulling it Parik Welch was there flicking it and JJ always spoke about that afterwards he said like it was one thing I got the hook but if if Parik Welch wasn't there tracking back from wherever he was midfield or half back you know that was still in the back of the net and if you just look at it, like he was number eight and he was just running, 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 not knowing a goal was going to evolve out of possession. And he gets the tip of the hurl to it. And like you just see the reaction of the Kilkenny players, like Owen Murphy runs across to him, David Blanchfield runs across because they know the importance of it. But it was just, and look, it was brilliant. And only for probably, only for the save down the far end by Owen Murphy in the second half, you'd near, not to say you'd forget about Fogg's block, but it was a case of that 
there was a few moments of brilliance um, that were really, I suppose, bits of skill for the ages. But that block was just top class. Yeah, I see a couple comments come in about um, Ryan O'Dwyer's comments earlier. I was on the radio myself, so I didn't actually hear them at the time. I have to go back and watch the video, but a um, few people are saying that he reckons it might run out for Limerick in 2025, that they won't have enough replacements at that stage. I, I haven't heard it. Um, I'll go back and have a look. I see a few people are commenting on it there, but I uh, I didn't see the video. I was literally on air at the same time, and I'd say Skell was probably watching the match, and Murph was on the BBC, and a few people have pointed out here as well about uh, who was Murph at the match with again? Can't remember. <laughs> Mikey Butler. Oh, sorry. Oh, it was my, Mikey Butler, was it? All right, very good. I was actually adding it's Skell. And then, so it depends on what part of the day you ask me. Yeah. My only my only disappointment about the fact that Kilkenny won today was I wanted to get Mikey Butler to the roadshow as a special guest if Kilkenny hadn't won, but he's somewhat busy. What's Killian Buckley going to do now, by the way, Murph? Uh, he's going to get married and he's going to play in an all Ireland final. That's what he's going to do. Yeah. Simple, simple as that. Simple as that. <laughs> Do you want an equation? Do you want an equation? <laughs> well, he's about to have the driest wedding of all time. Now, I appreciate he can go on honeymoon afterwards and maybe he can enjoy the week after the game, but what a circumstance to end up in here. I know, it's going to, we're, we're going to have a great day, to be honest. Um, like, I was saying it as well. Like, some people were saying, oh, look, you know, there's not learning final and all this. I said, isn't he the luckiest man in the world that he's going to get married on Saturday and going out and hurling all learning final of the Sunday? Some lads, like, you know, would dream of maybe having one or both of those. Like, but what a great weekend. Like, uh, like he'll be in great form and be a great distraction as well for an All-Ireland final. He won't even think about it until he wakes up the, the yeah, Sunday morning. And, so, and, Murphy, and I hear, sure. I'll do the celebrating for the boys. Don't, don't let them worry about it. Myself, David Herity and the lads will, will do the celebrating for him. So yeah, and it'll be, you know, it'll be a cost-saving exercise too because the team holiday could act as many honeymoon. <laughs> no, that's that's a Galway man's thinking. Now that's what that is. Yeah, mind the kidneys and you make the pounds, right? Yeah, I'm sure his wife to be will be absolutely delighted at the idea of going on the team holiday afterwards. But sure, look, um, right uh, before we go, the uh, couple of bits of housekeeping before then. Uh, of course, hurling is anyone's game. Off the ball, teaming up with the senior hurling championship sponsors, Borgosh Energy. We're uncovering stories highlighting the positive impact that hurling has had on people's lives. This week's competition winner, which is hosted by our good friends at Borgosh Energy, is Bridie. Griffin, uh, born in Wales, she has grown a love for the sport of hurling, and now her seven-year-old, who is named Satanta, is loving the game with the St Mary's Club in Athenry in Galway, where the whole parish has welcomed them in. Congrats again to Bridie, who is going to get a goodie bag. And you know the other good news for those who've stayed around and who've resisted the temptation to flick on the Sunday game and rewatch the game from Saturday. If you come along to the night itself in the Borgosh Energy on July the 20th. I'm not sure exactly how we're going to do it. My idea is to put Skell versus Murphy in some kind of competition. We will be giving away a pair of All-Ireland tickets to somebody in the audience as well. Bench press. Oh, yeah. So, we have to have a think press. about that. I thought it was going to be like a crappy quiz type job, but bench press straight out the door. <laughs> See, as, as a lot of lads said in the Hogan stand, or not the Hogan stand, I keep calling it that, in the Crow Park Hotel before the game yesterday, to quote any punter passing by, Jesus, you're a big bastard. <laughs> so the idea I'm going to get into a bench press competition with a six foot five lad who lives in a bog from Capitagal is <laughs> like, I'm surprised it's not like, you know, fixing the PTO shaft or something like this is a competition. Hey, Mark, I don't take offense to any of that crack. I'm quite a skilled man in the bog at a PTO shaft. I'm not <laughs> saying it's offense. I'm just saying as a matchup, it's ridiculous for me. Like, you know, <laughs> to think I've got a, as me, five foot 11 to take you on. Like, Jesus Christ. We make it out uh, that photo of Skell anyway, ripped to death. There we go. 
Yes. Your father was enough as it is, man. The one thing I learned from, well, we learned lots of things from Roy Keane against Gary Neville at the same venue a few years ago, but they took each other on in a series of competitions towards the end. And a few people in the stalls got hit with slitters because, let's be fair, Gary Neville had a cricket swing as opposed to a hurling swing. He seems to have improved it, having seen the overlap where TJ was giving him a few tips recently. But mm. I'm not sure about the idea of giving you hurls and trying to poke a ball into the boxes. That went a little bit awry the last time we were there. So maybe yeah. a crappy quiz is the way to do it. But I think I'm going to put both of you up against each other. One person <laughs> is to blame then if you don't get uh, tickets to go to the final. And we'll give River Power the very last shout of the chat. Because I did wonder this when I saw the warm-up earlier on. Mullen wouldn't be wearing pink boots under Cody. Fact. I'm nearly sure he wore pink boots last year. I'm nearly sure. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me have a look now, right? Uh, you can you can think about Adrian Mullen 2022. I'm I'm sure he was wearing them last year. Because I remember thinking only Adrian Mullen could wear You want to be hurling well to be wearing them boots. But he wore a highlighter boots in uh, 2022. Let me have a look. The only other thing I'll say is we should get suggestions from supporters to actually say about what uh, they would like us to do uh, for for the game because I'm sure a good few suggestions will come in. Um, well, holy you- God, Adrian Mullen, All Ireland final last year against Limerick, is wearing I think the same pink Nike boots that he was wearing. Today. Yeah, lads were looking at this day going, "Oh, Jesus, he wouldn't wear that under Cody. He was wearing them last year, lads. Pay attention." Electric pink. Is there what I recall that in July 2022. He's been, he's been wearing them the whole time. If Adrian Mullen, he's like George Best, let him do what he wants to do. If he wants to wear pink boots, let him wear pink boots. Leave him on because he's going to do the job. Compared to George Best, I can see him asleep. Not a good comparison. We should have said Ronaldo or Messi. <laughs> Ronaldo or Messi, maybe I should have done, but it was just. Well, there's a lot, a lot of people saying here we should get Tony Kelly on the show if either the lads have a number for TK they can send him a text and see if he wants to come along in the night uh, right I think we uh, leave it there he had them in 2021 as well apparently so there yeah. you go um, by the way Murph not to give away total confidence here and everything but we were kind of wondering about Adrian Mullen coming back in did he in the end have that surgery to uh, fix up his thumb before this is that his dedication to actually get back and play here yeah, like I, I believe now, and again, goes back to a conversation last week, didn't ask too many questions, but like, mm-hmm. I mean, even people in the street could kind of tell you what was happening. I believe he was given two options um, to fix the thumb. I think my understanding was that it was a kind of an injury straight to the top of the thumb and the bone was broken or shattered in some way. But basically he was given two options, I suppose. I think pins was one and, and uh, surgery was the other. The surgery would have had him back in time potentially for... Um, a Leinster final but that was just a push too far so obviously enough the four weeks in between got him back in time but uh, like yeah Jesus when you think about it it's an incredible decision for a fella to make like we, we sometimes forget and Conor Cleary give him huge credit as well come back from a dislocated shoulder what eight weeks ago six or eight weeks ago and hurled a full game and had a right game today like what these lads are going through sometimes can be forgotten about and for Adrian Mullen to go out there and hurl a great game today and give Conor Cleary huge credit as well John Conlon another fella like Jesus there are three big injuries that would usually keep people out for, for the full year but um, look at fair play to him but yeah that was Adrian Mullen's story hmm uh, can someone check in on Angry Producer Mick? He'll be like a bear this week. It's coming in from uh, Daniel O'Keefe. Angry Producer Mick, I saw tweeting very, very angrily about Claire's setup at half time. I don't think I saw any other tweets from him afterwards. But look, 
get chat to him tomorrow so uh, tomorrow it's going to be David Hardy and James O'Connor who are going to be breaking down the game on OTV so I'm going to probably stick something into the group a bit later on I didn't want to annoy him too much uh, before then because he can be angry producer Mick when things go wrong uh, for Claire but we'll find out what his thoughts are tomorrow probably ahead of that one lads it's been a pleasure as always thanks to everyone who has joined us on the live pod as well uh, we'll be back next week I'm kind of wondering, we'll definitely do some kind of pod, because I know it'll be leading into the live show, but I think we'll do a bit of a preview chat. But the, in many ways, the live show is probably going to act as the preview pod, if that makes sense, when we get it up on the Thursday night into the, the Friday morning, and then it'll be All-Ireland final week. It's all come around far too quickly. Absolutely. Here we are. Lads, thanks a million. Sound, lads. See you, folks. All the best. OTB's The Hurling Pod. With Board Gosh Energy. Hurling. It's anyone's game.